Hey gang, before we get started, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Moded Studios Embroidered Patches and Apparel. ModedStudios.com is where you can find all the hottest Wu-Tang patches, Bart Simpson patches. They got hats with Wu-Tang on it. They got a new shirt called Bernie for President. Now, we're not talking about Bernie Sanders here. We're talking about Bernie Mac. So go to ModedStudios.com to find all the hottest throwback patches and the coolest t-shirts and hats that you can find on the market. ModedStudios.com. M-O-D-E-D-S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com. They do custom work, and they're always updating their site with new shit all the time. ModedStudios.com. Now let's get into it. Back to another episode of We Speak English Good Podcast. Today's guest is Mr. Rasar Amani of The Leak. Now, this is Rasar's second appearance on the podcast. So if you want to go check out the first time Rasar was on the podcast, go check out episode 41. Uh, but so much has happened since then. Uh, it's been about three years since me and Rasar has talked, and they've done amazing, cool-ass things in these three years that they've been uh, that we haven't talked. Uh, so stick around for that. We'll we'll get to that right in a minute. But let's first talk about rainamystique.com. Go to rainamystique.com. R e i n a m y s t i q u e dot com and check out our latest album, Ten Eighteen. We are super proud of this EP, and we want you guys to check it out. Also, click on the Experience tab while you're there. And check out where me and my lovely wife will be playing around the Toledo, Ohio region. Go to WeSpeakEnglishGood.com and check out the newly redesigned website. You can follow us on Instagram at WeSpeakEnglishGood. And I, I really want to sit here and talk about the Instagram for just a second here because... I've been adding these new tutorials to the Instagram to sort of broaden the horizons of, of, of the We Speak English Good brand. Because We Speak English Good, we like to talk about gear. We like to talk about our emotions and feelings. We like to talk about technique and what it is to be a musician. And part of being a musician is getting better at being a musician. So check out our Instagram. I'm always updating it with new tutorials which are relatively uh, easy to intermediate. I wouldn't say there's anything on there that's too advanced. Um, some stuff, some stuff, some stuff that's uh, too advanced for my ass to even be playing. So uh, <laughs> go check it out. Uh, it's doing pretty well with uh, people's response to the videos have been pretty positive. So uh, it's something I think that we're going to keep doing and putting out new content in that fashion. So we speak English good uh, on Instagram and I'll be uploading those videos to YouTube as well, so you can go to our YouTube page and subscribe there, uh, so you can rewind and scrub through and, and sort of look over the tutorials without having to scroll up and then back down to start the video over or have to wait for it to loop back through. 
you can leave a review on iTunes uh, uh, or, or SoundCloud or anywhere you get your podcast. Leave a review. Uh, you can leave a five-star rating if we so deserve that. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I think that's everything, right? Oh, yeah. You can write the show at WeSpeakEnglishGood at gmail.com. Let us know what you're doing, how, 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 we're, how we're doing, how, how, how the world is doing. Um, you know, I, and I'll read these on air you, if they're nice. That Sometimes you guys are assholes. So I'm not reading those ones anymore. But... <laughs> I'll read your emails online uh, if you send them, and they're halfway decent. If it's a constructive criticism, that's fine. I'm all good with that. So before we jump in, I just wanted to let you know, I, I don't know what happened, but there's some weird audio issues with uh, with uh, on Rissar's and it's not Rissar's fault by any means. I'm sure it's all my fault. I'm saying that there was just a little bit. So if, if you can bear with it, you kind of lock in after a few minutes there. So let's jump over to Rissar Amani of The Leak. And we'll see you on the other side. Rassar. Hey, what's going on, my man, Mike? Hey, man, what's up? Thank you very much for calling in. Oh, man, glad to do it, glad to do it, man. I want to point out something right here because I, I just noticed that you... I've had your number for a long time, so it's, it's interesting that I reached out to you on Instagram, but it's yeah it's uh i have you uh in my phone as rasar armani like uh your uh fashion like your yeah, last name armani. Yeah. yeah yeah but i know it's not armani it's amani <laughs> yeah, i just yeah. thought, i just thought yeah. it was hilarious that i looked down at my phone and it says rasar armani and uh hey man so hey, you gotta stay fitted man that's what's up man <laughs> so what's, yeah. been, what's been going on with you man Wow, man, uh, so much. I think it's been damn near three years, at least two years since we talked on, on this. So right. uh, I imagine a lot has changed. I know a new album's been out, and you, you and you just yeah. dropped a single. I know that, right? Yeah, yeah, we just put out a single yesterday called Keep You Focused, and uh, very excited about that one, man. That's, uh, you know, it's the second single we put out this year where in the middle of a, we're on a road right now where we're just dropping a song once a month and we've never done it like this before. And we're not, you know, worrying too much about, you know, promotion as much like we're promoting it, but we're not as worried about, you know, oh, it has to be like the big thing that changes us, you know, we're just kind of doing what feels right, making it the best we can and putting it out, leaving breadcrumbs. And because, you know, we've done two albums, and, you know, people definitely that, are, you know, the core fans are always going to listen to your albums, but definitely you got to, it's better if you can drip, you know, stuff out and, you know, let people keep having a reason to check for you. So, um, Keep You Focus just came out. And the interesting thing about that song is I actually wrote that chorus in high school 
And I'm in my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I love and how music so, can be like yeah. that, though. It can just, it can tra- time travel with you, man. It, it just, it, right. it pops right back up. But please continue. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, man. It's, uh, it definitely transports me every time. I actually found it. I actually found the original version, one of the original versions on accident, uh, due to a Dropbox issue. So I have, you know, we've all got our, you know, Dropbox, I've got a ton of stuff on there, and I have a, I have all my old solo stuff, because I put out nine projects before the league ever did anything. So I have a whole history of my own. And so, and then I have a bunch of stuff that never got released, just stuff when I was a teenager, I was just, you know, doing what, when I thought I was going to get signed and be like the next Bow Wow or whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> Bow Wow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was definitely a thing. Not not by the time I was recording then, but like I definitely remember being both happy for Bow Wow and slightly I don't even say jealous, just more like damn it, like that was supposed to be the first dude of the, I was gonna be like the new kid in the millennium. And there was like a remember that everything was about two K back then? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you got to do it before the year 2G is uh, busted around and say. But, you know, like, I definitely had this whole, I was hell-bent on being like, I knew I was going to get signed by the time I was in high school. Definitely like, and, you know, it definitely didn't seem ridiculous at the time because, I mean, especially back then, like, you know, uh, you know, we didn't have social media like that and we didn't, people usually weren't pressing up their own CDs, at least not most people, you know, and all, all these things that, you know, it wasn't as independent friendly. So it made sense back then to think, all right, I make a demo, you know, I, I make a demo and I go to a radio station or I find out who the record labels are or I do talent shows. So back then it was like, well, yeah, I couldn't just get discovered. I'm like, you know, I'm a young kid, I rap. What else do I need? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, anyway, so uh, keep you focused. Uh, I was searching for it, but uh, I was still in my Dropbox. And I, and the, it's in the band's Dropbox, but I was searching too much, so I looked it up, and I was like, oh, yeah, and I played it. I was like, oh, damn, this was from, like, 2005. And by then, the song was already old to me. So it just it's just funny to finally have it out now and uh you know it feels good though man i it's actually a pretty inspiring song to me personally yeah man it's fucking amazing and the production value is fucking incredible as well i mean since i've talked to you guys like just your metamorphosis between the first album and then the second album but then like these next these last two singles my goodness you guys are really stepping out of that like organic uh, realm that you guys started in where it was like this band and, and you've always had the effects and the flash and you've always had like mm-hmm. uh, like on the first album you had the strings and you've always added those extra ear candy things but man you guys have really taken uh, big steps into you know getting experimental uh, can we play keep mm-hmm. your focus real quick and then we can come back keep it going I oh, mean yeah, that'd be great, man. All right, we're going to listen to the brand new single by The Leak uh, coming right at you right now. 
It, it, I, was, I don't know why I'm trying to act like a radio DJ. I was trying to do like the throw to like, coming at you right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Set it up. Set it up. <laughs> it's just not even close to who I am as a person. And for whatever oh, reason. good, man. I'm, I'm excited. Let's play the song. Let's do it. We're going to play this song. We'll be right back. So many distractions.
And we're back. So that was a, a, a great example of like what I was talking about, this metamorphosis of you guys sort of taking mm -hmm. those leaps and bounds. Because uh, um, uh, there's, there's this, I mean, half the song, like halfway through the song, the fucking song goes into halftime and goes into this wavy... Uh, crazy trippy, like awesome, like almost flying lotus type change. I love it, man. Mm. It, it's it's. Uh, yeah. I, I love what you guys are doing, and I love what you guys, uh, the direction you guys are going. What what sort of uh took you this direction? I mean, yeah, yeah. If that makes sense, I think it makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, also just the fact you mentioned fly low, definitely, and you can hear it mostly synth. I mean, that's Jason. He's a huge fly low fan. So that would make sense that you're hearing that influence. Like, like the whole band just, I think any, you know, jazz nerd that's acting is going to be into like those cats, you know, Thundercat oh, yeah. and all, the, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, all the music nerds are just like, oh, yeah, Snarky Puppy and, and, right. and I can't even think of it anymore. Jeez Louise. Wolfpack? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a few, I mean, obviously everyone loves Anderson Pack, you know, there's just there's oh, so many shit. options, but, oh my God. but, um, but yeah, so th this is something we've been talking about doing for a long time, or at least they have more so, like, the difference is we're talking about the organic thing, you're just, you know, exposing yourself as a music nerd, because I didn't hear it, that way. I mean, I'm a music nerd too, but I mean, you're really going into, like, that's one thing I noticed about a like, real musician is, people who actually like trained, you know, like, or, you know, learned an instrument or, or, or know the, you know, know what it's about and theoretically. Um, I remember Butterscotch pointed that out. That was the first thing she noticed about her first album is that it had a live sound, which didn't, I know what live means, but I didn't really think about how that sounds different, you know, like, um, so you're just talking about production value. I guess the band is, and then other people were saying too, like, wow, that's interesting you took that direction. And to me, I was just like, hey, we're just playing the songs we play. <laughs> you know, I didn't yeah, think yeah, of yeah. it. Like, you know, like that, you come see us live, but then they've been saying for at least two years. And I think even on our last album, we experimented uh, and got into that. The first time, first two times we really did that. Like when we weren't using live drums, it was actually on the song "Pain" from our album "Times Like These," which came out uh, May 2018. Um, "Pain" was the first one where we were like, did we actually use like a drum machine or like an MPC on it or whatever? And uh, that was a you know, that was a change. And then also on the song "Can I Call You," which features the Philharmonic, who by the way is on a national tour right now with Hobo Johnson, which is pretty insane. Nice. Um, um, anyway, uh, Phil Harmonic, and he's like just a ridiculous genius, uh, great singer, great rapper, ridiculous piano player, and it, but his production skills are stupid. And so he also added some value, even though the band is the one that actually produced it. He sent back like a dummy track that kind of put the guy like, wait, hold on, man, you can't out trying to find so, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if they want me to say that, but I mean, they definitely were like, there was some contention because I was like, well, I mean, he already kind of up the ending on it. Let's just go with that. And like, no, no, we're doing this. And so it was like a good friendly competition to to really, and so I think, can I call you? And uh, pain are actually interesting enough. Those are slow songs. So what I'm finding a pattern here is 
You know, we do that also on our song Drifting Away, which came out last month, where there's a whole other section that comes out of, like, nowhere in the second verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're familiar with that song as well. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, you know, that, what I've noticed is they love the slump. Especially Nick, you know, our bassist. I call him Slump Lord. Uh, that's his unofficial nickname to me. Uh, he just lives... And for me, it's so weird because like, so I'm like the only person who doesn't like to slow it down. Like I, I damn near hate slowing it down most of the time. Like for me, like slowing it down is like a, a like a nice rare tool. But they could just live there. Like if we just played like 75 or 69 BPM for an hour, they would be in heaven. And I'm like, ah! like no, can we can we keep it moving? Can we? I need, you know, I needed to keep moving. I need to, you know, when I, I'm letting off a lot of, like, I got a lot of stuff on my mind, and I got a lot of energy release. I'm not trying to chill most of the time. And that's the thing. Like, my approach when I run is pretty laid back. So it's like, for me, I'm like, I'm already chilled out. Like, I need the music to go faster for me to feel it usually just because I'm already relaxed. I'm trying to turn up from my relaxed <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, for sure. But but either way, you know, uh, we're benefiting from the slump, and there's a lot to be learned. I, you know, I don't just hate slow music; I just don't personally like rap and slow. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense for for you, someone who has, especially someone who's like at the front of the band, who most mm -hmm. people are paying attention to. Like you're you're carrying a lot of the energy and you're projecting a lot of the energy mm -hmm. for the band. And so if you're just right. standing there just doing your thing all slow all night, I could see how yeah. that could be a problem. But I mean, you guys exactly. do it so great though. Like it's like, oh, man, I, I can you. only imagine that when those moments do happen, because your live shows are, are you know, off the chain. So yeah, I can yeah, imagine definitely. when those moments do hit, they make an impact. Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah. Like it's, that's one thing is happened with this band is just you know these guys continue to improve and um because they're they're never satisfied um for better or for worse <laughs> you know uh, either they go either way <laughs> but either way ultimately it pushes the art forward because they're just like yeah that was cool but what about this that was cool what about this oh it's done yeah but i don't like that like they're just like damn near perfectionist like they're just obsessive with and they hate they hate anything like that's one thing that we differ is you know i'm like all right this works let's rock with that <laughs> you know <laughs> you know like i definitely want to get things better I, you know like i'm not always doing my first draft in my rhymes i mean every written song stuff, so i understand like improving but like they'll just be like they never wanted to that's the jazz in them. They never want it to just be like the thing. It has to be something else. It has to go somewhere crazy or it's boring. And I'm like, it's not necessarily boring, <laughs> you know. Right, but, right. But, You're right. But it, no, no, no. Please finish your your, your thought there. I'm sorry. I, I guess I was gonna say. I guess it creates an interesting dynamic. We balance each other out because you know, basically, uh, they need to like find a balance and just go with something and then that's me and then I also need to like expand and not get too lost in my own comfort zone so working with 
musicians like this who are constantly evolving and don't settle pushes me and also builds my patience, which is extremely necessary not only in life, but especially, you know, in the music industry, patience is key. So, like, you know, so working with those guys, um, I'm super thankful, man, because, uh, and, I, and honestly, these songs, you know, keep your focus in, like I said, you know, like, it's, it's about discipline. I'm talking about discipline, and I'm talking about being distracted. In fact, even in the song, like, I'm telling you what happened, like, like the other day when I wasn't available, even though we planned for this interview, you know, first thing I say and keep your focus is every day I feel something pulling me away from things I need to do. <laughs> you know, like that's literally, literally the first line. So I'm telling the truth on these songs, man. I mean, I always try to, unless I'm playing a character, but you know, like these and drifting away actually means a lot to me too, man. Like that song, um, I love that song. Like, that's one thing that's really cool is I know, like, a lot of artists, maybe not all, but I've heard it plenty of times, they get, like, super self-conscious, not, not wanting to come off, like, too egotistical or something, so then they act like they don't like their music, or they actually do hate hearing their own voice. I don't. <laughs> I like what I do, and I listen to it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, why would I make music if I don't want to hear it? Yeah, like, exactly. Why you would anybody else? Yeah. It, it goes a part of like believing in what you're doing. I mean, if you mm -hmm. don't like what you're hearing, it, I mean, like you can put on airs. That's fine if you want to look like mm -hmm. you're that kind of artist. But like, my mm -hmm. goodness, like you should really appreciate what you do because I mean, if you don't appreciate what you do, I mean, who the hell else is gonna like you know? Mm -hmm. Like if you don't believe in what you got, and and that's just yeah. so cliche. It's so cliche. Mm -hmm. But you know, I just saw Eddie Murphy, who's his old ass, is coming out of retirement to do stand-up and stuff again which i'm super excited for by the way but uh yeah. i saw my ryan and kelly or whatever that awful morning show is while working out at the gym and and he just and he said it like everybody says the same shit he's like if you don't believe in it it, it doesn't mean shit it doesn't mean a damn mm -hmm. thing if you don't believe in what you're doing so that that's absolutely that 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 makes perfect sense that you actually like your own music <laughs> yeah no I, I love my music man i'm like I, in fact, a lot of times, you know, I think we make music, I make stuff I want to hear. Like, a lot of times, it's supposed to be filling a void or tapping into something like create more of what, what you want to see in the world, right? I mean, I'm not trying to do the Gandhi quote, but it's in the same neighborhood, you know? Yeah. And, like, um, but the song Drifting Away is very therapeutic, man. It's, uh, Interestingly enough, my mom actually hit me up on Like, my mom has always been, like, one of my biggest fans. Huge support. No, I, I don't take that. My mom and dad are my biggest fans. have always been major supporters. But, like, not just because I'm their son, but, like, they, like, literally get down with the music. Like, it's one thing to be like, oh, that's cool. Like, I support you or whatever. But they, like, really listen to it, and they, like, analyze the lyrics and have always, you know, had their input about things and let me know if things offended them or inspired you, them or excited them. What did your parents do, uh, if you don't mind me mm -hmm. asking, what did your parents do when you were growing up? Like, what did they do? Yeah, their profession. Like, their profession. Okay. Well, my dad was in the military. My dad, um, my dad was in the Air Force for 25 years. But my dad, I mean, we could 
I need to do a whole podcast on my dad because my dad is one of the most interesting individuals I've ever met or heard of. And like that's like just I mean, very quickly. The guy was in the Air Force for twenty five years. He was in Vietnam. He went on four different tours. He lived in Okinawa, lived in Greece, you know, lived in Bermuda. Uh, he was like, he had multiple black belts. He was trained in Okinawa. Um, he, he, he was a martial arts instructor with his own studio. That was in a motorcycle gang. He was in a street gang before he actually got military. I mean, the guy is just like every part of his life is something you could literally make a movie off of. It's, it's unbelievable. He's a truck driver. He, he's a mechanic. He was an electrical engineer. Like my, I don't know how he found the time. And he had like hella kids. So, you know, <laughs> so, you know, my dad was a renaissance man. He, he is a renaissance man. Uh, my mom, no more direct. She's straight up a, a professor, a college professor. Mm. So, uh, she's a communications major. And so she always taught uh, communications and public speaking. And I really didn't make the connection to my own past in life until about maybe five to ten years ago, whereas my whole life has been, because, you know, it's like a fish in water, of course. Everything's about education and communication. So I don't really think that that's special. And then I realized, yeah, like, that's not normal to make that your whole thing. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> And uh, she clearly influenced me. But I mean, my mom's a bit of a renaissance woman herself. She's a yoga instructor. She's a certified yoga instructor while she's still a full-time professor. And she's like a registered certified masseuse. And I mean, I, I got so many things to learn from my parents, man. I hope I can catch up to them one day. Yeah, well, I mean, it just—I mean, just just you being who you are. I, I always, I've always find it interesting to find out where people come from because yeah, it forms a lot. Because uh, having a professor as a parent, and especially uh, another parent who who just has a general who is a professor of their own, right? You yeah. know, your father is a professor, just a, a like a, a rounded, a well-rounded professor in his own right, and yeah, it's just interesting to see where it comes from, and 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 you're saying how they analyze your music, they break it down. It's how important mm-hmm. how important is it to you for lyrics to be personal? I mean, because even in some songs, you you talk about your relationship with your father and your mother, and uh, how important is that to you? Well, man, thank you for showing that you're like it means a lot, man. Just saying, like I know you're referencing "Live So Free." I know because that's the only song I've really talked about my parents, so it's really. Uh, it means a lot to know that you're like diving into it, man. It 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 really helps because I mean we do this stuff and sometimes we're just sort of like we're just going into the into the void, you know. We just kind of create an isolation and then we do the performance, you know, and then we go home or whatever. So it's cool to know that the messages are being uh, heard. Oh, dude, you got fans. <laughs> you got fans. And you know, you know what else is, you know what else is interesting is that um, one of my friends here in Toledo was like, oh, dude, I saw the leak. And I was like, how did you see the leak? How did you see the leak? But um, because you guys came to the Midwest a couple years ago. 
and, or yeah. maybe even last year. I remember seeing yeah, you guys year. coming and like I was working and like I just couldn't get away. I was like, man, you guys are within like a couple hours reach. And I just right, wasn't right. able to make it. Uh, but apparently he saw you at one of the shows wow. where you guys were out here. And uh, he was Damn. he was really excited that because uh, I don't remember how, how it even came up, but this was a while ago too. So yeah, I I still talk about you guys. I still talk. I still bring you guys up. I was like, I, I I'm I'm a true fan. But uh, you you like to personalize things, and 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 already your you uh, your lyrics are very uh, conscious. And, and I'm not trying to put you into a category here, but you know they're very conscious. And I'm, I'm going to do air quotes and say woke. I hope that doesn't offend yeah. you. I don't think it's an offensive no, thing. No, no, I know a lot of people are like no, well, I mean, about and, that. Well, no, no, I yeah, am yeah. a conscious MC. I talk about deep shit. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> you know, like, for sure, for sure. But I know a lot of people have really been like, I don't want to be labeled as conscious. I'm like, I mean, I am. I've read a lot of books. I've done a bunch of, you know, yeah. done a bunch of personal, spiritual, metaphysical work. I, I fall short like most people, but yeah, like I live in the deep so yeah i'm a conscious mc for sure so so when you uh so when you're putting out these personal lyrics and stuff like do you find it do you find it i mean it's, it's obvious that that's just the way that you express yourself but um mm -hmm. but like 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 with live so free was that something that was a challenge for you to sort of put all that personal stuff out there or was that something that just came naturally for you you know it came naturally um that was that it was very cathartic, especially on that. It's interesting. I've I've gotten responses to the third verse. And Jason, who knows pretty much all my lyrics, Jason is our keyboardist. He, I mean, he has to know all my lyrics because he backs me up all the time. Um, he definitely said that the third verse is his favorite, and I heard some a few other people say that. It's interesting because. My favorite verse is the second verse because that's why I talk about my parents and I was like a personal big thing. And I always wanted to make a song about my mom and then I realized I should just talk about both of them. I don't talk about my childhood very much, not because I had like some deeply traumatic one. In fact, I lived a pretty picturesque, mostly, you know, relatively drama-free, abuse-free life. So like, which I find interesting because all the people, especially musicians, so many tortured souls, interestingly enough, most people really have a lot of problems with their childhood or their family or their upbringing. Not that everything was like totally perfect, like even in the song I say, you know, about how like my dad wasn't always there, but he did come back into my life. So he made, he, in that respect, he made up for it, you know. Um, and so, yeah, there's the, the pain of separation at the time, you know, but I'm one of the few lucky people with like, yeah, my parents actually got back together. <laughs> They're still together, like, after all these years, so. Oh, that's um, really nice. That's like a really, yeah. That's really nice. So, so there was a moment where they were apart, where they parted ways, and then they were like, hey, we're going to try this again. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, for that's years. That's incredible. Yeah, man, it's pretty, uh, it's the thing that doesn't happen. It's like kind of like a movie. Then definitely, uh, I'd say a large part of my my earlier childhood, where the dad wasn't there and he's doing this thing, or you know, life happens, and then yeah, slowly but surely came back into my life around 
I think I started to see him a lot when I was like a little bit around nine. I'd see him here and there every few years. And then around 10, 11, it was just like this concerted, consistent effort. Like, we're going to work. They weren't together, but like, they were like, he started coming around more. And then, I don't know, it just kept building. He started going to like school stuff. And, and the next thing I know, Somewhere like right in eighth grade, I think my dad just started staying over more. And I don't know, just next thing I know, I'm helping my dad move all this stuff over in his truck. And it was like crazy. And like, he just had his old house. And uh, yeah, he was there throughout high school and ever since then. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm not... I'm probably romantic, but I've given up on that overall. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I have the capacity to appreciate romanticism. And uh, I think my parents' story in that respect is pretty romantic that they worked it out eventually for the greater good. And, and they do truly love each other. And they are living examples of, like, in sickness and in health. Like, literally, like even with that separation in the span of like over, like I think over the 40 years damn near at this point, you know, mm. in that span of time, how much is like five, six years. I mean, it's still significant, but the majority of that time, you know, they found a way to be there for each other. So, Oh dude, um, that's, that's, yeah. that's so beautiful. And you, you know, what's funny. You, you said that like, when you said that five or six year span and then over over forty year, I, I read Michelle Obama's book and she's like, if you if you have a forty year marriage where ten of those years weren't that great, success, <laughs> success, <laughs> motherfucker, because marriage is a fucking very complicated, nuanced uh, institution, yeah. man, and and it's a uh, yeah. um, and yeah. it's a uh, uh, and and I know, I mean, me being married with a child, like it's a it's a fucking yeah. challenge, man, and like yeah. I. Woo, you know, uh, so, I mean, goddamn, hats <laughs> off to your parents for, like, seeing past, you know, the bullshit and, and seeing the bigger yeah. picture and, and making it happen and making it work. And, and I'm sure that was a very joyous time for you when you were, you know, when your dad came back and you and you finally did oh, move yeah. in. And so I'm sure that was great, oh, great, great times, man. That's a great memory to even have um, coming back. Uh, so you... uh. Duh. We should play that song. We should play "Live So Free" since we just we just talked about it so much. Yeah, why not let the people hear it? <laughs> Okay, we're going to play Live So Free, and then we're going to be right back. I woke up with a brand new stride today. Put a smile on my face, don't even talk the same. It's like I walk in the footsteps of my ancestors, connected forever. Things that stress us are real, even with the pain we feel. It's truth that we need, it must be revealed. In time, it all comes together, but guess what? Take a breath in the present moment. The next up ain't too far away. The harder we pray, can we get results we want without an active approach? I think not. Caught up in the web we spin, baby, you can be whatever you want, let's begin. My friends live all across the globe, I hope you know you're still right here, even when we're not close. Hands up high, music moves your soul, I just lose control. I wanna live so free right now, I wanna live so free right now. Good. Mama went through a lot, but she made it understood that she was sacrificed so I could be alright. That's 
a love unconditional the spot of the plight And now I went to bed knowing that she had my back Even when I got mad cause she was kicking the facts Had to deal with the real and I love her for that Mama taught me to express myself but half tact Daddy was a different breed Fulfilled the need to have a father figure near Though I didn't always see it wasn't for better or worse Don't know but it hurt I learned a lot about living alone My growth spurt showed up around the time he came back into my life Taught me about the old south in the military strife A world traveler his life filled the room I wanna see you soon saying of the earth as long as I'm on the surface some people didn't wake up today where they go I don't know it all fades away we're here let the music blast even in silence broadcast thoughts bring peace to violence we your family whether or not we like it I believe in ESP we all psychic you gotta learn to listen to the signals look all around you life is full of miracles inner visions fill me full of wonder finding success from somewhat of a blunder Everybody in the world needs love. I keep my vibes high in the sky up above. Everybody in the world needs love. I keep my vibes high in the sky. I wanna live so free right now. I wanna live so free right now. We are back, and uh, I just can't get over how shitty my DJ voice is sometimes. We are back. Oh, man, it's all in your head, bro. No, I, know I, don't even I know, I know. Yeah. It's just my raging insecurity showing, but, like, I'm just, yeah. but, like, it, uh, like I feel like I, 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 I don't know why I'm doing it, because I'm usually, it's very a natural thing for me to just be like, oh, and we're back. Uh, but for t- yeah, today, yeah, yeah, for yeah. some okay. reason, I'm so, like, pumped up and sweating that I'm just, I'm raging it out there. <laughs> Hey man, life is good, man. Hey, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. So, when you uh, you guys have a like, so I'm I'm gonna kind of reference you know your older stuff here. Walk into my office, um, right. and we talked about that pretty extensively on our last podcast. So, um, you have uh this this that song in particular has a big theatrical part where you are where you are you are not just a rapper on stage but you were doing like performance art and uh, and mm-hmm. such uh have you first of all do you guys still play a song and then second have you brought any other kind of theatrics similar to that uh to any other songs in your repertoire or any of your newer songs in your repertoire is there anything I know you're not trying to copy yourself or do the same thing but anything that that is on that level I mean cuz that is such a striking song live especially 
you know, is there any other part? Have you guys incorporated that kind of theatrics into any other newer stuff in your live performance? So, no, we haven't. Um, interesting enough, you said you don't want to copy yourself. They already copied me and just made it better. That's from my catalog. I dropped, that was like one of the first songs the band learned before we had our own songs. Because like I said, I had a whole bunch of music that I released before. So we, this, we started playing that like at our, in fact, the first show we ever did, which was in February of 2015, at the Hard Rock in Vegas. Um, we did that like as our introduction to people. <laughs> that's kind of a weird way, you know, to say hello. But that that was, we only did like five songs, and that was like our closer, I think. Uh, and I think that's when we were born. Uh, but actually, I wrote that song in 2010, and it came out uh, in 2011 um, under the name Random Abilities. I put out an album called Indubitably, and that's actually probably my best solo album ever. But it's also my least uh, commercially successful, partially, largely on purpose. Like I made limited quantities and I didn't put it, you know, I didn't really push it too hard. I was in a part of my life where I, you know, lost the gusto to be like in the rat race, but I wanted people to hear the music. And so um, anyway, so that song is actually like not, almost a decade old even though it only came out three years ago, the leaked version. But the original version is like two and a half minutes, where it's like a six-minute epic, you know? And actually, the third verse was inspired by a dude named Dan Western, uh, who's from Sacramento, or at least that's why I met him. That guy, you should look up Dan Western. That guy is uh, unique, to say the least. And so when I go into like the, the weird, deep, you know, Tony the Tiger voice or whatever, that was actually written for him. I wanted him to be on the song, and I couldn't get in. I think he moved to Germany at the time. So I never did the third verse. That's why the, song, the original version is so short. But then with the band, I was like, and we decided to get all crazy. I was like, what the hell? Why don't I just do it? And then that's how we got the full version. But no, we haven't done it. We've talked about it since. Um, I think Nick was like a little uncomfortable. I think someone got in the ear. And he started saying, like, yeah, people like, get uncomfortable with that song. My first thought was, well, that's the point, yeah. to make you uncomfortable, first of all. It's art. There's a reason, you know, it's art. Like, that's a, there's a reason why I'm, like, hollering around and saying all these crazy things and while we're, like, playing, you know, these discordant-type sounds. Like, it, and he loves wild, crazy, abrasive stuff anyway, so it was just kind of weird for him to be like that. But in general... We love playing it. It's probably one of the most fun things we do. But also, um, you know, we got like two albums, uh, 22 songs. And then now we've got the new singles. You know, we got like two, two more. We, we probably got like six or seven floating songs that aren't like on the album. And then we do like five from my catalog. And then we know like 15 to 20 covers. And we're doing like three, four hour shows. But a lot of, so, Walking the Monsters doesn't come up as much as it used to. In fact, we only play it here and there because while well, it used to be a staple, and I think it's honestly what kind of what set us apart from a lot of people. So I think we got away from something that we should have, like, you know, tapped into more. 
there is a desire to want more far out stuff because all of us like weird stuff. And but we did become a bit more formulaic. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say in the disappointing cookie cutter sense. What I would say is because like if you listen to a song like uh, Enter the Fist, which is the last song on Times Like These, I mean, that's like way crazy out there jazz stuff where, you know, like my lyrics are being interrupted by music. Like it's not even like, it's it's some of the craziest stuff I've ever been a part of. So I think uh, Enter the Fist is, is somewhere where we got some of, we broke the mold, we weren't trying to be catchy, there's no hook. Uh, it just goes into this weird lo-fi slump at the end. You know, literally the piano is lyrics. Like, the piano is lyrics, are the lyrics sometimes. And so it, I think th- that's where we got into the weird. Uh, but I'd say um, I think we should do more. But the, the thing is, you know, we got a booking agency, and we played a bunch of shows, and they've never told us what to play. But, you know, you start to understand your audience. And the thing is, I, I think one thing that we have suffered from is we've gotten away from whatever our real audience is. And so, like, we ended up playing a lot more shows. How your friends? This is a long-winded answer, but, you know, a lot, a lot to consider and unpack here. But um, uh, that's how your friends saw us on tour because we just played a bunch of shows across the country. And we had a great time, and we had a horrible time. You know, but I love touring. Not everyone does. I'd say the majority of the band is not huge on touring, or they're open to it, but they're not used to like the grit, the grind. Let's sleep on floors. Let's do, you know, like (laughs) you know, like sometimes we're in like high end hotels where everyone has their own room with two different beds, and then sometimes we're in a complete stranger's like back room with, with the dogs. You know, and, and I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, people get accustomed to different things and it is uncomfortable, you know, but even if it's great, even if we were in like five-star hotels every day and everything was paid, I think not everyone has the travel bug like that. Some people, one guy gets car sick. I didn't even know that for like three, four years. I didn't even know that. So like, so you had to travel with then, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but even yeah, but, but see, we used to travel in separate cars. We oh. got a van, and then like, you start learning. Oh, we had these two different. There was the, what they called the fun car, and ours was called the vegan car. And all, the fun car named us the vegan car, and it's really just because of me. <laughs> I'm the vegan. <laughs> um, but it was to juxtapose like we're the wild and crazy fun one, and then those are the boring guys, and. uh in comparison, yeah, probably a little bit more boring. But um, it was Nick and I. So it was the big guys versus the little guys. So now we're all thrown in the same van. And Sean gets carsick. And even after all those trips, I didn't realize that until we started talking about touring. And someone brought it up. I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I was with that. So there's a whole thing with that. But um, I would say... We started playing so many different places, and I think, you know, we haven't fully felt what we felt like in the first year and a half or two in terms of our connection with the audience, because we're just kind of, it was kind of like a buckshot. We were a little, we were more like, we weren't necessarily snipers, but we were pretty 
we didn't know exactly what our audience was before either, but we had a better idea of who we should be working with. And then the other thing is a lot of our peers either moved or stopped playing. So then we were like in a league of our own where we were like bigger than people that we came up with, but then we were smaller than everybody that we were supposed to be with. So then we just kind of went like, okay, what do we do? We just play anywhere, play where they where they take us and where they pay us, <laughs> you know, simple as that. Since we don't really have a class, and that's that's definitely a little bit challenging because we don't have. Yeah, we're at a, we're at this weird level. We've been at a weird level. We're like everybody who makes sense to play with is a lot bigger than us, <laughs> and then. There's a bunch of people, it's not necessarily about just popularity, it's just like, who even does what we do? Like, we always get put on, like, funk shows, or, you know, because a lot of people don't consider, that's just something that the Roots, I'm sure, always dealt with. Like, a lot of people don't consider Black Thought arguably the greatest MC of all time, because they always put them in the context of Roots, which people are like, oh yeah, that's that band. And I know you know about this whole thing of, like, a hip-hop band not necessarily always being considered hip-hop. Right. And so... We don't make sense most of the time with like a straight up rapper, like DJ show, but then like there's not a lot of hip hop bands, so we're always playing like the closest thing we get is maybe R and B, maybe a jazz thing, but then we're too much of the other stuff for that. So it's like like we opened for Drew Hill last year, okay? Like <laughs> I'm just <laughs> we are not like listen to Walk in My Office and then like imagine that band opening for Cisco. You know, like it's, <laughs> <laughs> did he still have his hair all, all like platinum blonde? Yeah. Yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. He had, the, he had the dragon chain and everything, man. Good but, for him. But it was actually a fun show, and they gave it. You know, they gave it up. We definitely were a bit out of place, but I mean, because we do have like the jazz and R and B like feel and the soulfulness. You know, we got certain songs we can. We got like five or six songs we can always get away with. And certain that's one thing that's really cool about having a band like this, where you know these people have different influences. They're not all strictly jazz nerds. They happen to be jazz nerds, but they have other influences. So, like, we can do an R and B show. We can do. I'm sure we could do. I mean, we've done house parties. We've done all kinds of stuff. Um, we do jazz stuff. Um, we done. We, I didn't play with an orchestra. I think that happened since we last talked. Oh played yeah, with the orchestra twice. Oh, that's twice. Oh shit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so let, let's talk about that because that's definitely one of the things on my list here is the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the only thing I can find that has any, you know any recordings of it is just that promo video. So I, I'm just curious. Uh, walk me through how that even came about. Uh huh. There's actually more clips of that on YouTube. Uh, yeah, well, they, I, I found the clip, like the little clips. Right, no, there's more of those, what I'm saying. Oh, like, there's more. There's like full songs, is what I'm saying, oh, on shit. YouTube, just not on our channel. Oh, okay. No, uh, okay. <laughs> no yeah. wonder I could find yeah. them on your channel. <laughs> they weren't on right. your channel. Okay. Yeah, we, yeah, we wanted to present something. It's through the school's channel. Quality. We wanted to do something. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted to do something that was like the highest quality that we could do at the time. You know, we ideally wanted to put each song out, but that ended up being a bigger project than the lady we worked with had time to do. And then she like moved and then it was just too much of a pain in the ass to try to do everything. We just found that the best thing would be to just do a strong recap and sell on that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
And they also like an hour long show. But um anywho, yeah, it's the Las Vegas Young Artist Orchestra, L V Y A O for short, uh, led by Yumi Lopez who actually selected us. And so basically, uh, I ended up being the replacement for Odyssey in his mind. I guess he had already reached out to the rapper, producer Odyssey, who we're also huge fans of. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't claim to know everything about Odyssey. I've known about him for years, but several members of the band are, are really big fans of him, listen to him all the time. So, anyway, there's this thing in Las Vegas called the Composers Showcase. And it happens like once a month and it happens at the Smith Center, which is like this big, like rich folks place where they do a bunch of things. And like, uh, I mean, like Hamilton is going to be there. Like they do like the Lion King live. And oh, I saw like Take Six do a Ray Charles tribute show there. So that's like the level that that place is. And so there's there's a whole bunch of different things you can do um, uh, there. So anyway, there's a smaller room in there. It's called like Cabaret Jazz or something like that. High end, you know, overblown speakeasy sort of inspired thing. And it's more like, you know, look, be a lady, that kind of yeah. stuff, you know. It's so, real swanky, you know. Everybody sits around these little tables with their drinks. And so basically what it is is it's like a, a release valve for all the, um, the performers on the strip who've had their souls ripped out by playing repetitive, useless, mindless, predictable music. <laughs> Straight up. So they do this event, and the guy's name is Keith, and it's a bunch of people who are just being slaves to the beat, and then this is like their chance to do what they want to do for like one song. So it's, like, it's especially a big deal in Vegas because most artists here that are making money or don't make original music. And so uh, I didn't understand when we first started the band, Sean Carbone, who started the band, was like, do you write your own lyrics? And I was like, yeah, what the fuck? Is, like, yeah. <laughs> of course, like, but as I've lived here, it's like, yeah, almost no one here creates, like, real music by themselves. Like, that's a bit of an overstatement, but I'm saying in terms of, like, ratios, like, if you if you wind up everybody that's, like, a known musician out here or, like, a, a very successful, productive, often hired musician. They probably make them, but that's not what they're known for. And yeah. they don't really push it. That's just, that's just a Vegas thing. Yeah. But you can make a lot of money playing other people's stuff. Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So composers, but for us, it was just like another gig, you know, because that's all, at least for me, I mean, several guys in my band play for other stuff too, but for me, I'm like, I do my thing wherever I go. So for me, it was just like, oh, whatever. So we did this composer showcase. We did one song. And we went over extremely well. It was about two, three years ago. And then Junior uh, was in the crowd. I don't even know if he performed there, but he thought he already had this idea he wanted to get a rapper. He, he's the conductor of the Las Vegas Young Artist Orchestra. And so uh, he already had reached out to Odyssey. And I guess Odyssey was taking a lot of his back or something doing talks and then he saw us and he's like wait a minute these guys they're you know i guess they're pretty good so i was selling cds outside and all stuff and that kind of helped you know and then so he chased me down they didn't have his money and he's like yeah you know whatever and i don't know right when i was going to my car he follows me out and uh 
he, he happened to be parked like right next to me. He stops me in the parking garage and he's like, hey, hey, man, I want, I want to buy a CD or whatever. Um, and then he kind of says something really fast about like an orchestra and it didn't really register. I was like, you know, we get offers all the time. And then Sean said something. He's our guitarist. And luckily, we followed up and it turns out he's like, no, like I want to like do you guys' music with my whole orchestra. I was like, what? And so, yeah, yeah man. Uh, a few months later, there we were. And then four, four months later, we were the season opener. And, you know, a bunch of people came out to this library theater. about 200 people or something like that. And we did 10 of our original songs, two different sets. It was amazing. And um, we actually did walk into my office, which was dope. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. this is, like, can you imagine that with, like, a 50-piece orchestra? Yeah, like, making all those, like, crazy sounds and stuff with the strings and stuff. Oh, man. Oh, is that oh, is that up on uh, is that up on YouTube? Is any of the, I mean, you said some things. Were yeah, yeah. If you just look up, if you just look up Las Vegas Young Artist Orchestra, or if you just look up the leak L I Q U E Orchestra, it should come up. I mean, I don't search it much myself, but I have seen that they put up. They didn't even ask us; they just put up stuff all the time. So they got their own channel, um, but. Um, yeah, just the feeling. That's an insane feeling, especially when we did the song Pain. I remember, like, almost wanting to cry when I heard the intro, because these guys, also the band, actually, you know, wrote the charts, or um, I know I'm not saying the proper term, but, like, whatever it is, like, they, they did, they, yeah, they wrote the charts. Like, they... Uh, composed it or whatever like oh shit so they so they were they were the ones so now did they collaborate with the the actual composer or were they the ones actually nah, charting nah, nah. out all the, the band the band went to work for like a month charted out everything that's what you get what you get a bunch of fucking jazz nerds you get a bunch of people yeah. compose music <laughs> oh man I, exactly that's i've awesome. never seen these guys work so hard that that definitely deserves attention i'm glad you asked about that too well, it's one thing that it happened, but they really, like, it was probably one of the hardest things they've ever done. They just, they worked so hard, and they were stressing out, and so it was, it was a huge payoff for everyone. Do you think, uh, do you think they would mind if we just, if I took the audio from one of those videos, or do you think we should stay clear of that? No, no, I mean, oh, you mean, like, lost the, I mean, it's our music anyway, so, okay. I mean, you can do whatever. Okay, uh, which song should we play? Because I, I got the whole list, and you're right. If you just Google the Leak Orchestra, all yeah. the videos just yeah. pop right up, and you can go there to it. So go. Which one would you suggest that we uh, play for the show? Man, there's a lot of stuff. Um, you know, one of the reasons always good. Pain, Pain is really cool. We got a lot of stuff on that. Probably, I mean, Batman's a standout song. I mean, dude, we did, like, 20 songs because we did it twice oh, so yeah. my brain's racing oh, at no, the moment oh, it's okay. you know? okay, so you want to just stick with pain or i mean probably just pain okay let's do yeah. pain and and uh we'll be right back now this is this is pain with the can you say the name of the 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 orchestra again? lvyao lvyao perfect we're gonna be right back
I know when that pants to the cuckoo Come to sniff stream just like Hulu Hulu, life is all about war and peace Turn on the screen, see more deceased Swans the least and the lowest My focus is drifting and different and open this beast Like shame, anger, loneliness Somebody show me where the hope exists And close and hold my fist while the joke persists It's like Santa Claus beating off shitless list World War IV knocking on my door Mama can't stop all these carnivores These beef in the street ain't nothing Wanna eat, got expensive taste that'll lay me to waste I've never seen a therapist but I'm prepared to skin tearing at my heritage Sharing a bliss and a bliss from a true Take one for the team just to lead the troops I got a battle these savages everywhere Most of the fights right between our ears Listen here, it's very clear Pain is in the atmosphere I got so much pain, but it's one thing I know Keep moving forward, it is backward game Wherever I go, my pain is entertainment Baby, so it's on with the show Then feeling low with it low Somebody rescue my soul And it goes, I got so much pain Turning it upside down like be here now with the world by turn to make game a risk that we can't resist on the plane of flips on the innocent gets the biggest blips on the radar. Hey y'all, we just animals instead of animals. We all get stuffed in the hand. Love my friends, but none of them understand what I've been through. Then you was church, check the verse, I'm a size who rehearse. Everybody been through trauma. See trauma be that downfall. How come everybody offering them pills, real skills to cope with this filled with your coke and and alcohol? Try to escape when we feel withdrawal. Darks and charges, profit over presentation, y'all. Too afraid to face your fears. Most of the fights right between your ears. Listen here, it's very clear. Pain is in that atmosphere. I got so much pain, but it's one thing I know. Keep moving forward in this backward game wherever I go. My pain is entertainment, baby. So it's on with the show. Been feeling low with it low. So funny, resting my soul.
And we're back. Yeah, that that I, I just I, I I thought that was so cool. I remember when you guys were doing that and you guys were uh, promoting that. I was just like, wow, that what an, an, an insane opportunity. And and it's, and it's not and what I'm about to say is not a, a slight towards you guys, but uh, you guys at the level you're at, which is you know fucking a fantastic level to be at, but um. But to have an orchestra access to an orchestra like that, I mean, usually that's reserved for, you know, if, if Twalib Kwali wanted an orchestra, it's like, bring it, you know, dial that shit up. Let's get this going. But I mean, you know, uh, he's he's just so it, it's amazing to me. That's when I saw I was like, wow, that's so cool that those guys get to do that. You know, like just being like where they're at in their careers is like to be able to do that. That's. I, I feel like that that's either like really expensive for like an independent independent band to do or it's like, you know, you know, it's pretty much unheard of, you know, this is what I'm yeah. saying. So it's a very, very uh, awesome blessing for you guys. Yeah. No, I appreciate that, man. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not a slide at all. It's a fact. I mean, the only time I can count the number of artists, rap, rappers, that even news orchestra. I mean, I heard about DJ Quick did it. I remember somebody told me it was the best hip hop show they ever saw at House of Blues in LA. This is like, somebody told me on Facebook, maybe six years ago, five years ago. And just hearing that, like, wow, you brought an orchestra out and quick. He was like one of the greatest legends ever. Right. And even with that, it was like a big deal. Or I know Nas, he did something, I believe in DC, uh, some sort of, some sort of, uh, sonic thing he did. And I think he played all of Illmatic. And so that was something. And then I've heard that Dale the Funky Homo Sapien did it. Oh, yeah. But I mean, all these guys, are, yeah. <laughs> Even Dale. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. All these cats are legends, though. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's definitely an honor. I'm the only rapper I've ever met that's done their own music with an orchestra. <laughs> yeah. That's a great statement. That's a yeah. great thing to be able to I say. Should, I should definitely use that more because I definitely sell myself short most of the time. <laughs> Uh, uh, how much time do you find yourself devoting to like uh, because uh, you uh, you take on the management of the band you take on Pretty that much. Role. Uh, how much time do you think you devote in a week uh, just to just doing just admin work for for the band man you know it fluctuates there was a time where it was too much loses everything because I'm like, you know? Yeah, oh yeah. It's more than another job. It's like four or five jobs, you know? Absolutely. Um, um, I think we reached the point. I think in, I'm not the best delegator. That's one of my parts I can improve on, and we've been working on that over like the last year. So. I mean, they're all in, um, kind of out. So there was definitely a time where I like dropped the ball for a long time because I didn't need to do as much. And it kind of like, well, what do I do now? Cause like I do everything. So it's like, when I'm not doing everything, I'm like, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to, I see it in a holistic perspective. So once I'm not a part of everything, it just gets a little confusing. Cause I'm like, I mean, this is also part of growing up as an only child, you know? As I said earlier, my pops had a bunch of kids, but I still grew up as an only child. So it's like, you know, I the group dynamic is kind of interesting. And I had a solo career for like 10 years before I met the week. Mm -hmm. So 
it's it's been a challenge of life. But I put the band before myself, which has been almost to my own detriment, honestly. And they even said before, like, we didn't ask you to do all this. I'm like, yeah, but the thing is, we wouldn't have done a lot of stuff we've done if I didn't obsess over, like, putting you guys before myself. And so it's a thing where it's like, I can't blame them for it. I never would. But I also, like, I kind of, I literally push my whole thing to, to people who don't even really know I have my own career at this point. And I've been kind of rebuilding that, but I poured everything into, like, this. At one point, I ran all of our social medias. I was on the email every day. You know, as soon as I woke up throughout the day, you know, I'm, I'm a part of every negotiation. This is one thing I do. I mean, how many hours? I mean, when I'm at peak level, especially if we're like in album release mode, I mean, here was a typical day last year when times like these was getting ready to come out. So we hired a PR guy at the behest of our booking agent. So I would talk to my booking, our booking agent, once a week for an hour. That was just the phone call. We text and email every single day. But for an hour to two hours, we would plot and strategize. My whole thing is to be like, you know, where the cities are we in? You know, and a lot of times I know more about like the local scene or like I know the sort of artists I want to be. So I have to like approve what type of girl we want to be on or who we bring with us. And then like, you know, I have to go back and forth with the band. I'm always texting and asking the band, like, are you available? Oh, this guy can't do it. So then I'm doing that. So I, instead of like booking agent talking to the whole band, which personally to me would be more easy, but then it's, it's harder for him to try to keep up with all of us. So I have to corral the guys and make sure their schedules work out. And that they, when they said they agreed to it, but they still agreed to it two weeks later. And I go back to him and then he asks, the book, he asked the venue and he comes back to me. And then that's one thing. And then I had a weekly call with our PR guy. So he and I would come like one to two hours. And so he would give me ideas for things I should be doing for social media and all this other stuff. But more on top of that, he would be reaching out to all these publications. And then he'd be setting up, he'd be like, are you available for this radio interview? Are you available for this print interview? And then a lot of times I would be on the phone while we're on the way to the gig talking for an hour. And then... So I'm, and then they call me, I'm the point man when we get to the damn venue. Oh, can you, can I have a point of contact, please? Are you guys on your way over here? Oh, you guys got caught in the snow. So then we get there, we load in, and then I'm the one handling the pay, and then I pay everybody through Venmo, and then also I have a booking agent. I mean, it's fucking crazy. It's ridiculous. And that, I haven't even said anything about, of course, everyone comes to me after the show because I'm the front man not me being egotistical, that's me being factual. Everyone talks to me because I'm the one guy that talks all the time, which I love most of the time, except for people who overstep boundaries. But then it's like, I'm, that means I'm also the default merch guy. A lot of times, but because people talk to me so much, I'm not as effective as I should be as a salesman. And then the other guys are only thinking about music, music, music. Let's break down, and that's great. But I'm like, dude, there's like 20 people around me, and one guy's telling me about the story of his life. <laughs> there's 500 people trying to buy a shirt right now. Can someone please help me? <laughs> you know, and and so it's like taking pictures, doing it, and it's like, wow, are you complaining about it? It's like, no, but it's like it's a whole thing. Of like while I'm taking the pictures, signing autographs, explaining each song, saying what we're gonna be next where to follow us, how to spell the name, I approve the logo. It's like literally everything 
goes through me and that's why I just disappear sometimes because I'm like this shit is too much bro like I go to the bank I'm the one keeping it up when we do taxes at the end I'm the one that does the meeting and goes through all of our receipts and all I'm like God this is unbelievable but at the end of the day that's why we still have music that we come out with because that's what this thing is really about I think the more the enterprise expands, it's easy to lose track of what the main thing is. And so that's why it's so fitting. We have a song called, uh, the first song we did this year is called Drifting Away, which I think we were drifting apart from our core, maybe even from like our original plan of what we were. And, and then, but also when we took that residency out here in Vegas, which that's a whole other thing we talked about on the record. I'm not sure if you saw any of that. But. I did. Wait, well, what is, okay. it? is that the vinyl say or wait? The vinyl say is actually my thing. And I'd love to, I'm really excited. About, I'm most excited about the vinyl say. I'd love to say something about well, that. But, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, what were you saying on the record? What was the... On the record is the life-changing residency we had in Las Vegas. Yeah, I remember you guys had that, and that was around the time you guys were on the... Wait, no. That was after. You were on the magazine cover, and then you guys got the residency, right? I mean, we did a few magazines. Yeah, covers, I don't know. Yeah, like, exactly. It, it just it's, there's the there's the one iconic one we did called Las Vegas Weekly. Yeah, and that was like that was like three almost four years ago. Yeah, but uh, that was before most of this stuff happened. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. actually what launched a lot of stuff. That oh, was like okay. we were we were like little underground kids, and then they basically we were doing a lot of shit, and then they kind of put us on another level. And everything just went crazy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so what 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 was going on with the on the record thing? On the record was a crazy thing. I mean, uh, I guess the the finish the the point I was making earlier, though, just Please. referencing on the record was that definitely threw off our momentum yes. as creative artists because we had to devote so much to creating like sets every week at this residency and most of it wasn't original like I would be doing my stuff mostly but then we'd mix in a bunch of stuff you already knew and the music was usually like hits you already knew and it just took up a bunch of time but then the upside was we got to see a bunch of our favorite artists for free and we got to say we can forever say we opened up and we literally did like a lot of times we would play them on and play them off like I mean I'm talking like the first like the first day we played one of the first ones was uh, New Year's. They brought out Coolio, but also Lil Dicky played. Lil and then, Dicky. like, yeah. But then, like, Quest Love, uh, DJ Premier, Anderson Pack, Naughty by Nature, The Far Side, Onyx, Mark Lawson, uh, Wyclef. I played, I, I met, like, all these, Big Daddy King, like, all the KRS one. In the course of like three or four months, we played with and or for or before after all these people, and it was crazy. It was insane. And I've continued to be booked there uh, as a host. Karen also uses my man DJ Bo, who's from LA, Cape Town, and um, but anyway, I wouldn't. They I got pulled in there because of the leak. And uh, 
Yeah, it was crazy, man. Like, I mean, DJ, it was crazy. Like, I don't know if you remember watching D, uh, MTV back in the day, seeing DJ Scribble on there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I remember seeing DJ Scribble when I was a kid. Well, DJ Scribble is one of the resident DJs. So there he is. Next thing, I'm shaking hands with, you know, DJ Scribble. I grew up on you, dude. What the hell? You know, right, like, right. or DJ Mighty My, like, I don't know, like, how nerdy you go on the hip-hop, but, like, you I, know... I, I, about... I hit a wall eventually. I, I, I hit okay. a wall as soon as you said that second name. <laughs> well, we know about Rocket. Everyone knows about Rocket, Blackstar, Moses, yeah. I mean, Charlie Chuck, Seth, Mark. But one of the groups on that, bit, on that uh, roster was High and Mighty. High and Mighty put out a hit single called... Uh, Bebo Document 99 or 99 Bebo Document, which was the first time I ever saw a Mos Def music video because it's Mos Def, Mad Skills, now known as Skills, and then the rapper's name is Eon, but the group is called High and Mighty. So the producer from High and Mighty, which was one of the main groups on Rockets after like the three that everyone knows, you know, Mos, Tyler, and Pharaoh, they were like probably like the fourth or fifth most, uh, you know, popular, and they actually were getting paid on played on BET, and what made them stand out too is, you know, Rockets, especially Black Star, and you know, Black on both sides, and all this like really pro-black music. They were white guys, so it was kind of interesting. Like they, they stood out definitely. Um, so I'm like, yo, you're like one of the first people I heard when I was getting into that kind of hip hop, and then here he is. He's He's a DJ lives in Vegas now, and he's there every week. And, oh, yeah, little John was just, like, casually sitting in a booth right in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, we got, I got introduced, and I was like, hey, you want to meet him? And I was like, I mean, yeah. Well, that happened a lot. Well, like, well, you want... Let me go see little John, shit. Yeah. Oh, and so man. we're performing for little John in this club, and he's the nicest dude in the world. The guy was so calm. And collected and just respectful. I went up to him like it was very quick, but it was just like we got introduced by this big red guy who like was always just doing these power trip plays, and he was just like kind of. You could see him be like, "Yes, yes, I make all the moves. I'm so important." And he introduced us, and uh, it was just, you know, he just kind of shook my hand with both hands, and he just kind of bowed, and just I was like, you know, oh man, hey, what's up? And, but it was just very warm and welcoming. It wasn't like, oh, I guess I got to talk to this kid. It wasn't like, all right, get out of here, kid. You bought. It was like, if I wanted to chill, I could have. Wow. And it was just super, he was just lounging, like just chilling. Like, I love it. When, like people, I love it when people like, on those levels are like just regular dudes who are just like regular yeah. people who are just nice. You know, they just want nice vibes around them. And that's all, you know? <laughs> Right, and I guess that's not the way most people would expect to interact with Lil John in the club. No, but have you had uh, have but, you had any bad experiences with any of the people that you guys were sort of working with or playing for? Or hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, and I'll say it, I've never said it before, but uh, Quest Love, man, that was a huge fucking disappointment. Really, and uh, I I never met the guy, and you know. I'm a huge fan of The Roots, and we are obsessed with The Roots, and it definitely didn't change how much I love their music or that I love hearing his stories about Prince. Or he's just a, he's a fantastic historian. Black Thought is arguably the greatest MC. 
you know, I mean, that's always an argument, but I see the argument for Black Thought being the greatest MC. I see it at the very least. And, I mean, obviously, anybody in a hip-hop band has always been in the shadow, <clears throat> so it meant a lot to us. That's kind of one of the ways they sold us on this game, is that, like, yo, we're going to have Questlove, we're going to, they were even talking about, we're going to have Q-Tip, we're going to have all these people, oh, nice and smooth play. So, um, anyway, it was a big deal, and our drummer is like, Jeremy is on another planet when it comes to his obsession with the roof. Like, it's freakish, like, they think I obsess over a lot of things, and they can see his hip-hop knowledge only goes back. <laughs> You'll love me saying this. His hip-hop knowledge goes back maybe like five or six years, and he doesn't like have any personal delay. I didn't know that. Like The way he goes off, and like he knows so much. He's just so smart and sharp that he deep dives and learns everything about something once he gets into it. But he actually explained to me, he was like, yeah, I didn't... I didn't even really get into hip-hop until like I was in college and I definitely didn't know how I was like, oh, that explains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, because like, but the things he knows, he knows probably better than most people, but uh, it kind of explains, but he knows a bunch of other stuff. I'm not sure if I don't know, but um, it kind of explains like, you know, I'm obsessed with hip-hop as a whole. I've been listening to this for over 30 years. Like, I'm obsessed with the whole thing. And they don't all feel that. And the difference is, you know, they like hip-hop. Or they like, you know, they love parts of it. I live it. I breathe it. I've moved here because of it. I live and die for it. And I've gotten in arguments. I've cried. And I've had all sorts of great experiences because of my dedication to hip-hop. I'm, it's safe to say I am the hip-hop head in the band. And it's not even close which definitely changes our perspectives on some things. <laughs> you know, right, right. our, our understanding of cultural significance and moments. But that being said, he's obsessed with the roots and especially Questlove. And so he's a bit in denial that Questlove was, was addicted to not just us, just like the whole situation. So he rocked the party. He did what he's supposed to do, but he was just very like, we had built up this whole thing, and we everybody else won't buy it. Like, even though some people didn't understand the structure, because they were like, we'd be playing off at the band, and there was dancers, and there's a DJ, and there's a Rolls Royce cut in half, and the DJ's out of that. In the back, there's another DJ. He's playing in like a double decker bus that they brought in with a helicopter. Like, there's like three different karaoke rooms, and each different room is like from a different decade, and there's vinyl on the wall, and there's old TVs, and cassette tapes, and eight tracks. Like, this place is crazy, man. So, I can understand how you can get a little confused. And then the show is wild. I mean, you got like these burlesque type dancers and you got, you got break dancers and some of these guys are actually jabberwockies, but they can't tell you that. And then it's like, it's just, it, and then you got these like pretty girls. You know, of course, they got to have that. They got these pretty girls and skimpy clothes. What else is new? And then, you know, it's just, it's this whole presentation. You know, Vegas is huge on presentation. And then you got us. It's bands off to the side. And so we were there largely to like, you know, do things. But what did Questlove do? He basically just said, all right, here's how the, go the show goes. All right, I'm not doing any of that. And he screwed up everything for everybody. Uh, and he screwed over the dancers too, which is, which was not cool, which was really not cool. Um, so th every there was a set time for everything. And we had been going by the book. Like everything was super like, yo, we do this. 
Oh, just Blade. Just Blade? That was another guy. I mean, that guy is <laughs> one of the greatest hip-hop producers ever. But, yeah, that guy was super unprofessional, always showed up. He often showed up like an hour late, like, like from his actual set time sometimes. He'd be like 20, 30 minutes. Oh, he's be in the building. No, oh, he forgot his laptop. Oh, he's in the club, but his laptop won't turn on. Like, what? We didn't charge it. You know, just things like that. But Questlove just basically, he did a great job, still one of the greatest musical minds. Um, there were these dancers, and we're supposed to play directly. And everyone had to lay out of the show, and there were even people in the booth with him who know him personally, but they also are directly connected to the show. So there was no excuse. Everyone knew what was happening. There was no confusion about how the show was supposed to happen. And so the dancers start to come out, and they're doing everything. Everybody's looking at them, and the girls are shaking and everything, and the guys are doing whatever. And like 30 seconds into it, like the stage kind of goes dark, but the music's still on, or like the music cut off and the lights are still I can't remember what it was. Like I could see them, but like, I thought it was a part of the act because they all like kind of stopped, but they were still kind of moving, but confused, like some like, you know, like in a movie when the power goes out. And everyone just kind of, but then everyone was just looking, and because they do dramatic pauses and stuff, it looked like it was just a fake thing. It looked like they were just building up for a big, oh, you know, and then it just kept going. But then we're supposed to play when they're done. So we're like, do we play? But then we don't want to mess up the performance. And then a lot of times, like, we can't really start until, we can't end until we know we get the okay from the DJ booth and the star. So it's like, they're waiting on us to play because a lot of times they need to set up. So right when it's ending, like, or it's not supposed to end, it's ending early, and we're about to play, and then, then also, I'm supposed to introduce everybody. That was literally my job. Like, I got to, I'm on camera introducing Mark Ronson in front of a packed crowd. Like, I gave a proper introduction to all these legends, and that was part of my job. I'm, supp- I'm supposed to... We are the band. We let everybody know there's going to be live music, and then I give them with it, and then I throw it to them. That's always what happens. Well, that's also on the run of show. And Questlove said, fuck that, too. So he basically somehow got them to cut the dancer's music, which I know the guy who runs everything hates. He hates even three seconds of silence in the club. Like, he has a fit. I've literally seen him storm out of the club. So I know this made him livid when he saw it. So it was like 20, 30 seconds of confusion. And then Questlove just starts his set. And then we're looking at each other like, did he start? And I'm looking at the guys and they just kind of throw their hands up. And he just goes, okay, I guess that was that. (laughs) God damn it. You know, like it really knocked him down a notch for me as a person. I really... Just like that about Quest Love. Like, am I going to stop listening to the roots? <laughs> when I see one of his great interviews, am I going to stop? No. Like, I, lo- I love his artistry and I love his historical prowess. Yeah. Uh, but as a peer to peer, I understand we're not peers on, on that level. But as a performer, we're all peers, we're all on a stage. And the fact that I've been with people that are as big as Quest Love and they weren't like that, yeah, 
you fucked up. Like you're not cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, not yeah, cool. That, that's a that's a shitty personality flaw. Uh, yeah. So for you then, is it? Uh, <clears throat> Because you're saying that even though that quest love was kind of a dick and he kind of ruined yeah. kind of ruined that night right. for for that yeah. audience even um yeah. and for the performance but uh are you able to separate the the artist from the art then are you able to yeah that's what I was just saying I said I'm not gonna stop listening to the right. music or watching the but, interviews. but yeah. like but like take it to an extreme like let's say like I don't know like Louis CK you know uh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. he he had some scandal or or, or uh right. Or R. Kelly, you know that's a. I, I think that's a. That's. A, I knew that one was coming. Well, you know it's coming. <laughs> but but I, I don't know. I know how I feel about the situation. But I'm. I mean, I'm not asking you how you feel about every situation. But I'm saying, like, are yeah, you man. still able to go? I mean, do you be, do you still believe you can fly? I mean, do you know like? Are you? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, are you gonna? Are you still gonna step in the name that, of love? That's what I'm asking you, Rasul. Yo, are you gonna step in the name of love? <laughs> That is one of the funniest things I've ever heard about R. Kelly ever. In fact, I'm going to say that is the funniest thing someone ever said directly to me about R. Kelly. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. That means a lot, actually. Yeah, I really do appreciate too, that. It's too good. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so R. Kelly is an interesting one. Um, but... I mean, also you go as far as Michael too, but uh, I mean, I was listening to Jack Five right before I called. So, yeah, so okay, you know, so that, that I'm I'm always gonna love Michael. Um, oh yeah, it's... do do I think do I understand why people don't like Michael? Yeah, <laughs> I and do I agree? Do I think that people? Do I think that Michael Jackson was the monster that many people do? I still don't know. <laughs> I don't. No, like mm. I see every reason, like all the signs are there, and if it was someone else, it would be like clear. And the question is, would you let Merchant say we might have I don't know. You know, it's like it's and that's the test. Or like if you saw any other man that was like thirty something years old that always wanted to hang around or forty years old wanted to hang around kids all the time, you might be questioning it. Yeah. Or or angry. You know, so like but then it's like, oh, he didn't have a childhood and get the Peter Pan syndrome and you know, he never grew up and he was like, it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, there's nothing that, and it's like, oh, he was never convicted. It's like, oh, but he paid off some people. But oh, but some of these people forced a lot by their parents and they're proven to be people that go after them. just like the people who have like fake insurance, you know, lawsuits and stuff. So it's like, the whole Michael thing is really crazy. I've seen everyone like close to him be like, no, he did not do that. There's no way to do that. And I don't even personally stand to benefit when there's some people like, he's a monster. I don't know, but I love Michael Jackson music. Uh, R. Kelly, it's a little more clear. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. <laughs> it's a little more there's clear. some video um, footage floating around somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really funny to me how many people, you know, because everyone talks about R. Kelly. Like, it's so many, it's, I don't know if it's funny, but it's, Interesting. I always have paid attention to this. When people be like, I mean, we all saw the tape, or like, we saw the tape, or I've heard that phrase. And now I was a teenager when that came out. So, you know, I saw like a clip, but it wasn't, I mean, I didn't have possession of like the VHS and it was circulating, but like, I see what I think was that. But I was also like 15 myself, you know? Right. <laughs> now, when I see people who are like, 
the woman had been addicted to like, we all saw the tape. I'm like, you know what you're saying. Do you know? Do I, 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 I okay. We want to maybe take a step back. <laughs> Don't casually yeah. say this, please. <laughs> we all saw it, sir. Dude, I've seen a lot of people say that like in interviews and I'm like, what? Do you know what you're saying? Because it's different if you're like 25 when you see it. <laughs> like, right, right. If you're 15 or 14 and you don't know anything, it's like whatever. You're a 30-year-old person and you're like, yeah, here's our Kelly with a 14-year-old. Well, that's a different story. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, now we got to call the authorities on you. <laughs> it's a little bit, <laughs> but a lot of people have said it and they're getting away with it or whatever. The whole, that whole, I, hadn't, I didn't watch Surviving R. Kelly. I purposely avoided it and the Fire Festival thing. So, oh, by the way, side note, Ja Rule is one of the greatest performers that you'll see. I just wanted to put that as a weird side note. Ja Rule was one of the artists that played it on the record and he destroyed. Oh, um, nice. And it, yeah, and it happened to be the connection R. Kelly is. It happened to be, aside from the fact that he has a song with R. Kelly, uh, he actually, uh, I mean, who doesn't have a song with R. Kelly? That's the other thing. Yeah, you like, can't avoid the guy. Yeah, what are you going to do with all those artists who have, like, duets with him? Like, what are they going to write him off? Uh, so I'm, I'm just curious. Are, are, are you, I mean, I, I don't know if you were an R. Kelly fan before all the scandal, but, like, if you are an R. Kelly fan, uh, um, are you still okay with listening to his music, or is it something that you'd write off? I definitely was an R. Kelly fan. I mean, I grew up on him. Like, I mean, if you're an R&B fan, yeah, especially in the nineties, you were fucking R. Kelly. You were an R. Kelly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Like, it's it's just like Cosby. Like, yeah. you can't like you can say whatever you want, but like, it's not welcome to be like Bill Cosby is one of the best comedians of all time and one of the most entertain the important entertainers in the history of Hollywood. Absolutely. But you can't say that, but that's not that's not nice to say or it's not it's one thing. But it's true. He's one of the most important figures ever and he was excellent at what he did. That's not the point, but what I'm saying is it's like it doesn't change the fact that he was funny as hell and I bought my mom bought a bunch of his records and I listened to doesn't change the perception or make it a little weird. Yeah. Um but I think one thing that people get confused is they think that just because someone did something horrible, then all of a sudden their art isn't good anymore. And I'm like, that's not true. That's not true for me at all. Like if someone's, if I see something, yeah, it might be a little weird or tainted or I may not enjoy it the same, but that doesn't take away from talent, skill level, the timing or anything like that. Especially when you consider how heinous all the people who haven't been caught are. Yeah. Like the whole thing is accessible. It's there's they have these poster boards, but the whole thing I mean, even from what I've seen of surviving R. Kelly, like all them people I've seen this like on Twitter back in the day, but it's true. All them cats should be locked up. And I started to watch a little bit of it finally, like maybe a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> the thing, all these people are guilty. All these people are aiding and abetting. It's not just him. Yes, our guy was a horrible person. But, dude, like, all these people, parents and guardians and uncles, everyone knew. Everyone knew. People walked in on him. People participated. People knew. Everybody knew. Mm-hmm. Even fucking Alita's parents. His, 
a fucking dad admitted I've seen their marriage license. So not only did, you know, Mario, she was 15, lied about it by being she was 18. It's on the record. I've seen it. It's on the internet. But they even talk, he even admits in the damn documentary that, yes, they had something happen to where, like, someone, you know, they forged it or whatever. They made it so that she was 18. So he was complicit in the act. And he knew she was only 15. And the name of the album was AJ Nothing But a Number. R. Kelly. Holy shit, bro. If you look at the damn cover, if you look at the cover, I didn't peek this with a kid. He's chilling in the back. Oh. Like, they're, like they're at school, like he's lurking. Oh. Like it's her and she's like dressed up like a tomboy and in the back with one leg up against the wall and R. Kelly. Like that, she was, and he executive produced it. The guy who's known as a fucking pedophile literally produced a 15-year-old girl and named the album AJ Nothing But a Number. That's insane. That is insane. Yeah, and I'm seeing it right now. I'm I'm actually looking at the, the at the picture of the album cover. He's in the background God. on a cell phone or something. Like I don't know oh, who he's God. calling. But <laughs> <laughs> he's like blurred as she's dressed all like yeah, like a tomboy with her sunglasses yeah. on. Wow, that is that is that is a certain kind of insanity that you just can't make up, man. That's just fuck, dude. It's brazen. It's right in your face. It's right in your face. And even if you sometimes go back to their old interviews, like you start running grooming tactics and stuff, and they get dressed alike, and all they do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, you know, here's the deal: R. Kelly, not because of this documentary, and not because a bunch of people acting outraged about R. Kelly. Like, I'm like, where the hell y'all been? Right? We've been been doing this shit. This ain't nothing new. Like, it's great that people are addressing it, but it's like when people are acting like, oh, I didn't know R. Kelly was a piece of shit. Like, yeah, he always, like, I, what I will say is, I was definitely under the spell of other people to where I knew that he was a shitty person, but I still liked the music. I definitely was like that for a long time, but where, but it was always like, there's a joke in the back of the mind, you know, like, mm-hmm. the thing, like, it's not, I remember, in 2008, there's this great event in Oakland called Tourette's Without Regrets. It's one of the most crazy events you'll ever go to. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, they lived up to its name. I mean, they would literally throw pig hearts covered in blood out at the crowd. Like, the shit was like a Gigi Allen show. Like, it was... Shit. Yeah. Like, the way they start the show off is, like, they come out, it's like a circus, and this dude named Jamie the Wolf, who's really Jamie Kennedy, but he changed his name so he wouldn't get confused with the other Jamie Kennedy. And so, it turns out, this is not even, this is, this sounds like I'm making this up. You can look it up. Jamie the Wolf is literally L. Ron Hubbard's grandson. Oh. And so, he's like on this huge crusade against Scientology. And, and that, so the guy that runs Tourette's Without Grit, he's this crazy poet who happens to be the creator of Scientology's grandson. So it's, it's just a wild event. Yeah. Um, and so what does that have to do with anything? I, so in 2008, I, it's a rite of passage for West Coast poets. If you're a weirdo, you got to eventually go there. Because it's not for the weak-hearted. You, like, the first thing they do is, they say, all right, we're going to get this out of the way. We're going to say every offensive word. And I love this, because this is before cancel culture. I don't know how they're still alive now, because everyone gets offended by everything. No one can, you know, PC culture has been around for quite some time. But 
not as fervent as it is now, but they throw all that out the window and they say every bad word. They say every racial epithet. They say every sexist, misogynist, transphobic thing right at the beginning. Right. Now that we know that we're all family, let's get the show started. <laughs> and it's like, whoa. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, that, you got you to gotta see it. That, that's, that's fucking awesome, man. So uh, yeah. uh, what what do you what what is your take on uh, on uh, the whole PC movement to, uh, these days? I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. God damn it! I I do. And God, cancel culture. All of somebody cancel cancel culture, please. <laughs> yeah. <I can't. laughs> yeah. Who do you, where do you file that complaint at? <laughs> Yo, I cannot. I cannot with these with these people, man. About everything. Now, here's the deal. I, being, you know, it's funny. I always think people like bash leftists. And I guess if you really look at my, my beliefs and my standpoint, I am a leftist. But at the same time, I'm also more of like, a, I feel like I lean more towards voluntarianism and, uh, you know, voluntarianism. And I'm more like, uh, I, I'm more like observing the matrix more than, I mean, I'm in it like everyone else, but I'm observing the way it works. And I don't always take sides. I'm just more like, all right, this is that, this is that. You're both crazy. That's usually my. <laughs> but that's um, usually the conclusion. I mean, that's the actual truth. Yeah. That's when you boil it all down. It's just like, no, both of you are just like out of your fucking mind. So uh, let's try to make this work, goddammit. Exactly. But I guess if you really go to my core beliefs, I'm a leftist. So it's kind of interesting. Like, I'm like internally partially offended when people go so hard on. And it doesn't even just mean like the political left. I think it's like a larger like conservatives versus progressives, which of course gets boiled down to parties. But it's more of like a, just people who are like radical hippie type shit, and people who are like want to be traditional and want everything to be like you know, which you know of course does align with parties often. But even people who are outside of that realm, there's like leftist and right wing all that other stuff. So that being said. Uh, I, I I actually side with a lot of the, the stuff where people like bash leftists because unfortunately uh, being woke or progressive, which I'm actually into, you can be too woke for your own damn good. I think that happens a lot. Uh, I've been guilty of it too. You know, like you know, sitting. It, I mean, there's nothing new about that. Sitting on your high horse, you know, uh, you know, being in your ivory tower, things like this. You know, a lot of times, or it's like uh, that haggard preacher. You know, the guy who was talking about gay people oh, yeah. and how much he hated, and then he ended up being with a bunch of gay prostitutes and stuff. So there we are. You know, like <laughs> no, not only gay <laughs> prostitutes, but methamphetamine as well. <laughs> it's like meth fueled <laughs> gay prostitute parties, man. Whew. Right. So. I mean, so, like, and that guy was, like, extreme right, you know, because all these religious people are usually on the right. So it's like, both of them, everyone trying to act like they stand on some sort of high moral ground are usually not. Yeah. They're usually the opposite. Um, so, the, goal, the reason I brought up Tourette's Without a Rent is because there was this poem that would be way more, would hit harder. It seems kind of out of place because he's got a, a bit ahead of his time. And I think we still haven't fully seen this sort of thing. This dude did a Aaliyah R. Kelly poem in 2008 when no one was talking about it. Like, and like, you know, we all knew Chappelle did it in 02, 03, I want to pee on you and all that stuff. But we all laughed, and that's a hilarious, it is a hilarious skit. It's wrong, it's sad, it's sick, but it is funny. funny. And 
it's iconic. And I remember watching it and knowing what it's talking about. And even then, I didn't, but I didn't understand how bad that was. I'm like, yeah, that's really bad, but this is funny. That's all I can think, you know? Right. And then you start to live more life and you realize, wow, these things have really deep consequences, you know? Like, this is really bad. And um, so anyway, this guy did a poem, like, in 2008 in Oakland. And uh, the, the, the poem was really breaking down how serious that whole R. Kelly thing is. Like, it's one thing to just be like, you know, this isn't funny. But the guy was, like, screaming, like, angry. Like, I haven't seen this sort of visceral reaction. Like, the dude was just, like, going off. Like, he and he kept saying, R. Kelly raped that girl. And then he kept saying, Aaliyah, R. Kelly raped Aaliyah. And he said it like his veins were, like, bulging out of his neck. And he kept bringing up the fact that she was only 14, 15 years old. He was 27 years old. And everyone was like, wow, this is powerful. But at the time, people weren't really talking about how bad R. Kelly was. So it was like, why? Like, it was like, yeah, this sucks, but why are you that angry? And like, we all know he's bad. But like, the guy looked like he was going to pass out. And now that the time passed, I understand why he felt like that. And it, it's just sad that, like, a lot of us didn't get to that point. Like, I also feel like maybe that's a waste of energy to get that living and to, you know, risk your health by being that angry. But I am, I understand his concern. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I would say it was about maybe three or four years ago where I couldn't listen to R. Kelly anymore. Uh, I think one day I was rolling down the street. And, you know, they played him on the radio all the time. And I think it was, uh, I think it was like Step in the Name of Love and like, Feeling on Your Booty or something like that. Mm. And it just sounded really weird to me. It does. It does take on that weird connotation when you start like listening to the words and then you're just like, oh shit, yeah. that dude is, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. it's and, it's so weird when when artists who are like also predators like incorporate that into right. their art and like for everyone to see right. like the fucking like the CD cover like the album cover Aaliyah's album cover I mean like they want people you know like they want to be known a little bit you know right right and you know that was the moment where I just I remember I just turned off the radio right there I, I could have just changed the channel but I was like I don't hear anything right now. And ever since then, I haven't been able to really listen to songs that I know are like straight up his. But also, as a as a music nerd, as a historian, and someone who follows other music writers, Archie was one of the most prolific writers. You couldn't escape his music if you tried. Not only the duets, what a lot of people don't understand is the writing. These dudes wrote for so many people. Like, there's there's a few writers that are like. You can't escape them if you listen to, like, okay, Babyface. The dude, I mean, I saw Babyface like two years, maybe three years ago. Babyface ends his show with like a 30 minute medley. And I'm saying medley. Mm. You know, most people's medleys of their hits would be about 10 minutes. He did 30 minutes 
surely of songs that he's not even on because he's written that much. He did other people's songs and he showed us like, this is how much I've done for the entire music industry. Like it's, and even like before he came out, like they showed you all the stats. There were like over 500 million records sold. There were like over 30, 40 Grammys or some shit. It was like this many American Music Awards, this many Billboard number ones. Like, like this dude wrote for Eric, like Babyface wrote for like Eric Clapton, Madonna. Uh, I mean, he's worked with Stevie Wonder. He's done all the, but also, I mean, he worked with, I mean, he wrote all these 80 slow jams and same thing with R. Kelly. Like, R. Kelly wrote for so many people that even if you never listened to a song with his vocal, you've probably heard him. Like, he wrote You Are Not Alone for Michael Jackson. A lot of people don't know. He wrote Fortunate for Maxwell from the Life soundtrack. In fact, he produced the life, the soundtrack to the movie Life with Eddie Murphy and, and, and Martin. Like, oh, Casey the dude worked with Celine. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he executive produced that whole album. So, I mean... Uh, what's, that, oh, what's the other one? Celine Dion too. Celine Dion. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. You can't even fucking like. Even, yeah, even if you're if you think you're safe with Celine Dion, <laughs> the most the, the safest, like most like you know like uh, um, you know the safest music you could think of for for the whole family. R. Kelly's there. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he wrote for Lady Gaga. I mean, he did the song. I mean, he worked with Usher. He worked yeah. with everybody. He yeah. couldn't get away from it. And there's, there's, there's just no way. There's nothing. So the best you could do is, like, I'm not going to consciously listen to stuff. I know he's on. But at the end of the day, if you really know music, you just have to accept he's probably on there anyway. <laughs> you know, like you just, yeah. <laughs> you're participating you're participating feel bad feel more guilty exactly. um, okay so you know, i guess people should stop listening to jeremy lewis they right. should stop watching woody allen movies they should stop right. watching Roman Polanski movies right. and they should probably also stop listening to elvis yeah. uh and yeah because all these guys are also predators so if people really want to be real <laughs> you know yeah yeah. But Roman Polanski's still free. Woody Allen's still free, even though he married his wife's adopted daughter who he raised, and he married her when she was like 19, so obviously they already had a previous relationship. Um, that's why a, is that guy still free? That's a weird <laughs> That's a weird one. And you know what? Me and my uh, me and Rainer were watching uh, Manhattan, one of his classic movies. And in that mm-hmm. movie, he he is a older, he's 42, and he fell in love with a 16-year-old girl. Wow. And that's like wow. that's the premise of the movie. <laughs> it's wow. him falling it's in love. In the movie? Yes, that's like the main premise. It's Muriel <laughs> Hemingway is the the young girl that he falls in love with and has this affair oh. with. And he and uh he ends up breaking it off with her to to start a relationship with a age-appropriate woman realizes that that doesn't work for him and runs back to the to the child wow. because that's where wow. true love lies is in a, no. in, a, in, a, in a baby girl a little baby and her wow. face was a baby like she looked like a baby wow. like a little tiny girl i'm just like oh my god and and, and that's they the, tell you yes they tell you they tell wow. r kelly was on the phone in the background telling everybody yeah she's <laughs> only 14 <God. laughs> click that picture like, i want to immortalize this Yo, he I mean, there's, that stuff is wild. You know, with Michael, with Michael Jackson, I've 
I'm definitely leaning towards the side that Michael didn't do all the things he's been blamed for. The caveat to that is, and most people I know who have loved Michael, they agree. First of all, I'm aware of bias. Uh, and I have a, it's one thing I grapple with. I'm always checking myself. Because I love Michael Jackson so much, do I have some sort of denial about the obvious? And I ask myself that a lot. Uh, but I've examined it. One thing they pointed out is they had a chance to get him at least twice, and it didn't happen. He went to trial at least twice, and then he paid off a bunch of people, which people think that paying people off means that you're guilty, but that's not necessarily true. A lot of people settle out of court for things that they didn't do. It's called extortion. But, yes. but there is such thing as hush money, too. And there are people that did do things and just pay off. So it's hard to, it's hard to tell. Either way, things logical, and there's evidence to back up both patterns. Uh, you could, you know, when he had Emmanuel Lewis on his lap at the damn, uh, I think it was like the Grammy or something. Emmanuel Lewis was like 14 years old. He looked like he was a little five-year-old kid, but he was like 14. And he knew that. Like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. You know? Um, other, uh, always needing to be around the kids and shit and always having the boys around him and stuff. But, you know, his obsession with Macaulay Culkin is really interesting. But then, Macaulay Culkin has definitely always denied. And Macaulay Culkin has revealed a lot. I don't know if you've seen, like, his resurgence. But he's on YouTube and yeah, well, he has his he own podcast it. now, so he has yeah. a, and he has yeah. a lot to say. And uh, yeah, yeah, I did see how he was defending Michael when when the that documentary came out, the HBO documentary. Oh, see, I didn't even, I haven't even looked up Macaulay in like maybe a year and a half, oh, but I wow. caught me and just so you know probably more about it than I. Well, well, me and well, me and Raina, Raina, Raina has an interesting take on it because she was saying that even if he did do those terrible things. He didn't do it, <laughs> and that's it. Oh damn! That's where her oh, argument. Damn. That's where it ends, and she's okay wow. with it. So, wow. so we're moving. Kind of heavy. That's kind of heavy. <laughs> it's real heavy, and I'm just like, yeah, and she can explain a little bit better. Of course, I'm speaking for yeah. her. So, um, there's more to it. Whereas, like you know, like. Yeah. He, he, like you were saying that he didn't have a childhood and blah 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 all those excuses that people bring up but you know um th i mean that's the end of her argument so it's not it's not the most sound argument to uh bring to the table but but that's what she's doing but but that, that that's how i feel like a lot of people feel even if they're not saying it like that as well it's like well it's like you know whether he did it or not. Like fuck it, I love, <laughs> I love what he's doing. I think that's where people are, and there's even been people who are like that with R. Kelly. I, I actually got cut out on Twitter because I said something about R. Kelly. Oh, I think I shared because Vince Staples, one of the realest in the game. I'm not even like a huge. I think same. I think people like Vince Staples more as a person than even like his music, and I think he knows that. Like Vince Staples is just an interesting dude. Like he gives the best interviews. He's so real. He's so funny. His timing is perfect. He's not filtered. And he, but sometimes, like, he straight up was at some festival and he got interviewed by an investor from Complex. And there was some really big festival. And he just like, they were like, yeah, so what do you think about this R. Kelly thing or something like that? And he, I think it was just like kind of like a, oh, we know you're going to say something crazy. But it wasn't like the main point. And it's this quote that kind of went viral, and he said something to say. He just broke down. He's like, R. Kelly's a piece of shit. He's one of the worst. He's like, so good. He just said everything. He dropped all the bullshit and just was like, 
this is what's up, fuck R. Kelly. And then they, they got super nervous and like, oh, and they tried to back out. And then that went viral. So I think I shared that. And then somebody, some dude was just like, and I didn't even know, was like, uh, oh, niggas talking shit about R. Kelly, man, blah, blah, blah. You hate me all the you know, and obviously they're each showing his intellect and his intellectual level there. And um, I said, I didn't really argue with him, but I definitely was like, okay, we're going to have fun with this person. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, <laughs> so once you start going that route, I'm not going to like, I'm not, I, I don't know a lot. I don't, I don't, I'm not usually an argumentative person. I just go super chill, usually. When things get really crazy, I just go very, like, if you're going to, like, start shouting and yelling, I'm just going to go very simple, quiet, calm, collected. I will become more concentrated the crazier you get. So, she, she, he just goes off really angry, and then I just start coming back with facts. And I was like, well, I mean, he did marry Elliot when she was 15. So, and he was 27. And then the guy was like, yes, he said something like, tell him like, that don't mean she didn't go. It wasn't even like he refuted what I said. It was even more just like, just that I was hating on R. Kelly. It wasn't about what you said is incorrect or correct. It was that I just had the wrong vibe and he was insulting me. And then I was like, oh, that's funny. And before I got back, I did my little search and I found, uh, a screenshot of their marriage license with their government names on it. And I just responded. I was like, I mean, it's right here, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> and the discussion was over. And so, um, you know, I, I would say with that sort of thing, I think people, so that's an example of someone who like defends our Kelly, even if they know, even though like he stopped saying shit once I put it in the face. Yeah. But with Michael, I definitely see there's people in utter denial, but I see so many people that are close to him. The only person I've ever seen that's kind of been like, I don't know, maybe he was kind of like that that knew him was Matoya. Yeah. I seen Yeah. I remember when no, she came out with like I remember seeing a long time ago that she was speaking out against them and shit like wasn't that a thing like when she was like a, yeah. like a psychic or something she was like uh, she he was uh, <laughs> he, he i'm pretty sure he was out there touching these boys i, I <laughs> like she was making it hot for your boys it was like 92 this is like around the time i think she did playboy and she was like the thing no one ever talks about latoya unless something crazy happens latoya is I don't know. It's the one that you think is crazy a lot of times you need to pay attention to. So part of me is like, it's like that moment in uh, Men in Black when they ask Will Smith, why did he shoot the old girl? Why, I don't know if you remember that what, Why did they shoot who? Remember in Men in Black when they're doing their training? and Oh, why like he shot the little girl. Yeah, yeah, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's actually, while that's a funny scene, that's also why they picked it. Because everything's not what it looks like. Right. So, just because of a toy is largely not a credible source and is surely desperate and obviously, like, cast out of the, the, the circle that she's the least popular. Well, there's another one that we don't know about. There's another sister that we don't hear about. But, 
she's one of the few that aren't famous and didn't do anything significant on her own, and she missed the train of everything they did. So I think her motivations were just to run him to the ground. She was doing anything to get money. But, and no one else, no one else has ever, like, none of them, even Joe, who I believe deeply hated his son, yeah. Joe never said nothing. So neither of the parents ever said anything. Not 3T, like, none of the, the, the nephews, Janet, of course, she has, we have a lot to lose, but she could have, like, she could have distanced herself. She had her height in the 90s. Like, she embraced her brother even more. Yeah. I mean, all these people, and you could say, I mean, all these people embrace our Kelly and Hager, so what do you say? I don't know. I just feel like there's just way more people that have, not everyone stood to benefit by supporting Michael, and no one who's even close to him. I mean, from Chris Tucker on down, everyone's like, nah, Michael is not like that. He was weird, but he wasn't like that. And so, I don't know. I mean, I've even seen Farrakhan. Farrakhan did an, a eulogy on him. Gave like a three-hour sermon, and I watched that like maybe about eight years ago. And he said a whole bunch of because you gotta remember, you know, Michael had the Nation of Islam, uh, the uh, the FOI, which is like their security arm, like that was his personal security. And so Michael was actually really down with Farrakhan, but he couldn't publicly do it because Farrakhan is you know one of the most hated people in America, but he couldn't. Like, but but he also contributed to the Million Man March. Like, apparently Michael was supposed to be a part of that, but he was like, I can't do it because I have too many things pulling at me and some bad things are going to happen, but I want to support him. Like, while Farrakhan never bigged him up in life, while, while, while Michael was alive, he, he let his congregation know. He's like, Michael Jackson actually dropped like $100,000 in the support of the Million Man March. And he met with me in a hotel and told me he was behind me, but he... And, he, and what is on record is he literally had the Nation of Islam as his personal security detail. It's like, that, that's a known thing. So he, they were actually very close. And if they were up to some weird shit, I feel like Farrakhan would be like, I'm not fucking with that. You know? Yeah. Like, like yeah, because he knew there was something bigger than just just what was being said. Is that what you're, is that what you're insinuating? Right, like, there was a lot of reasons the, of course, there's also the motives for, you know, creating these narratives about mm -hmm. Michael. You know, he's not like your normal guy in any respect, but definitely uh, he fucked with the mob. I mean, he called Tommy the toll of the devil. We know, so, you know, like the whole Sony thing, owning the Beatles. Like, that's way bigger than people think. Owning the Beatles publishing. I try to explain it to the band about why I have no doubt in my mind that both Prince and Michael Jackson specifically were murdered largely for uh, their assets. Mm. And they all just kind of looked at me blank, and I'm like, also, how many of you have done research on this? <laughs> no one. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and, and there's, like, I, there's videos of Michael Jackson being like, hey, there's powers at B here that, that don't want to see a black man succeed. They don't like to see people in power in that. And, and, there was, and, that, and, that, and that was another argument that was coming up with Bill Cosby as well, where there mm, are... Yeah. But I know that that's a different thing altogether. But uh, yeah, the NBC thing—he yes. was trying to buy NBC and then that, yeah, right, right. And right. then they killed his. I here's the thing: I think that he both did wild shit, and I think there was a conspiracy to bring him down. Mm -hmm. See, some people have it as either or. Like, Why I don't. Yeah. The, 
started breaking his chain. Like he kind of did it with Man in the Mirror, but that was still under Quincy. Once he met Quincy, he was dangerous, and he started talking about real shit more, like doing the black or white thing and heal the world. And he started going this other direction and just became a ridiculous icon, even bigger than Dan. And it was like, and then, and then even with history, like Earth Song, they don't really care about us. They had to really shut this dude down. Like he was on some other shit. And that's when I think the, they just started making it harder. The realer he got, the more he started breaking his programming and not getting this safe, predictable puppet. They were like, oh, no, no, we can't have this. You know? Like, yeah, no, no, yeah, because that's, that's dangerous. I mean, it's dangerous to the powers that be, but it, it's dangerous mm-hmm. to let those kind of things go uh, unchecked. Obviously, mm-hmm. a big example would be Martin Luther King, who was mm-hmm. constantly being, you know, and, and like there's a huge jump between Martin Luther King and, and Michael Jackson, but I mean, not that big. Is there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not <laughs> that big of a jump. The problem is, is like as soon as people start telling or questioning the powers that be, shit starts happening that is it a coincidence or is it, you know, brought on by the shadow government or whatever the fuck you want to call it? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it all lies in that gray area where, where, it, where, where God is and where, you know, like where the idea of death and taxes lies. It's like you, you it's, it, it's, it can be all these things and, and, and maybe none of them, but it's, 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 it's still a possibility and still something to think about. And, uh, in, you know, even even if none of this is true and you, if this is all just, you know, paranoid delusions, the fact that you sit down and think about it and, and you know, put this much idea into or put much, this much thought into something, I think is an important part of it as well, because like not many people will put that much thought into an idea. I mean, especially an idea big as like you know, you know, the uh, music industry trying to keep someone down because they're trying to, or, or whoever it is trying to keep someone down, the powers that be, uh, because of what they're saying. You know, that's a huge idea, and the and, and to even sit down and think about that as an idea, I, I think, is an important part of uh, of going about it in on its own. If that makes sense. I don't know if that makes right. sense. I mean, it makes sense. But it is true. That's the thing. Mm. Like, there's some things that are conjecture and opinion. But what is factual is that Michael Jackson did own ATV Music, which is the publishing end of Sony. So that's factual. Right. And what is factual is that he did own the Beatles catalog, which also prevented a lot of things from happening because people didn't want to necessarily pay to him what they should. So you notice a lot of things happened after he died, even like with Rockstar, Beatles version came out and all a bunch of stuff they started re-releasing. Not that there was no Beatles music released, but Paul, Sir Paul McCartney was quite pissed off when he found out <laughs> that Michael Jackson owned his rights. And I guarantee you Sir Paul McCartney was not the only person that was pissed off because that shit is a lot of money. I mean, there's what is not conjecture or possibly false is that the mob, the Italian mafia and other ethnicities definitely have had a major influence over the entertainment industry. There's no question about it. You can literally, I mean, there's books on it. Frank Sinatra, I mean, yeah, for sure. There's, I, I watched a great documentary called The Last Mogul. And it's about Lou Wasserman, the guy you've never heard about. 
this Jewish dude who basically was a part of NCA. This was the toughest dude in the game that you never heard of. And this guy went back from the early days of NCA, and we don't even think about how important NCA was or is, but like this guy is a dude. He he made a point to never. There's very few pictures, no interviews of him. He didn't keep a diary. He was like a mystery man, but also one of the most important people ever. And just watching, if you just watch the documentary, there's no conspiracy theory about that. And that, even though that phrase is even also a crazy thing to me, because it's like conspiracy, conspire. All it literally means is when two or more people plot in secret, you could literally conspire with me to go to the grocery store. And then a theory is just, a series of ideas, ideally facts, but it leads to concepts and that you put together. So you're saying, I have a theory, I have a working idea of why I think that these two or more people did something, and it's either true or not. But people, when they hear the word conspiracy theory, think it immediately means that it's invalid. You can be correct. Every single thing is, like... If I tell you the way that someone like plotted to beat down like their ex or kill their ex, like it happens, but that's a theory. That's what cops do. Cops do a conspiracy theory. They figure out who was involved, who did it, and what was their motive. That's all a conspiracy theory is. Whether it's right or wrong is always proved by the end of the research. So I think that's one of the things. It's like that's where the discussions like that devolve, where it's like you can literally say a bunch of factual things and then people be like, that's your opinion. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's, it's not my opinion. It's verifiable facts that you can look up independently regardless of what I feel about it, you know? Yeah. And that's where it gets interesting, uh, you know? So um, do people get whacked for being too powerful? I don't know. History has shown me it happens. <laughs> yeah, no, you're yeah, you're right, you're right. Because I mean, it's yeah. Uh, Rasar, I, mean, I we're we're yeah. we're getting towards the end here, and uh, yeah. we're, we're getting uh, and I gotta get ready for a gig. So I I do want to talk about the uh the vinyl the vinyl say yeah. because I thought yeah. that was an interesting concept. I, I, I've, mm -hmm. I've been following you with that. So could you uh you know kind of give us a quick breakdown of what you're trying to do with that? Well, the vinyl say is one of the most on purpose things I've ever done. It's a great event that. It's free. It's all ages. I've got a bookstore called The Writer's Block, downtown Las Vegas. And it's beautiful, man. It's, it's uh, basically what I do is the first Friday of every month. First Friday is a big deal in Las Vegas, especially for, like, the real Vegas people, like, not just tourists or whatever. But, like, I mean, there's, like, two million people that live here. So uh, there's a whole thing aside from the strip that people don't see. And there's a downtown and the arts community and the arts district and all those other things. The first Friday is pretty important in Las Vegas if you are artistic or just want to do something off the strip. And so we try to tie it into that, although it's not directly connected to the event. But every first Friday at the Writer's Block, essentially what I do is I break down a classic hip-hop album, my choice, and we actually have the vinyl there, hence the vinyl say. And I basically sit down there in front of the crowd and 
I do a live review of the album and I talk about its historical significance. Uh, my main DJ, Mr. Vibe from Sacramento, who I've known for many years from, from back there, he happens to live in Las Vegas now. And so he'll play like he plays everybody in, he'll play music. And then now what we did last time is he actually played samples from the record so we can show like the evolution of how it got to that point. And then so the first two albums, oh, so I'll talk more about what I do on the event. So I review the album. Then I do a Q&A, because it's definitely not just about me. Like, oh, look at me. <laughs> Trying to step outside of the performance element, you know? Yeah. So I get my thought, and then I'm like, what do you guys think? Or did you, did you guys have questions about this? Or like, when did you first hear this album? Or whatever. And we have great discussion, man. And people, have they teach me things. I don't know everything, and I know that, and I admit it. I would like to think I'm a bit of a connoisseur and, dare I say, a hip-hop scholar, but part of that is being a perpetual student. So there's always someone in the crowd who knows more than me, and I love that. And so they speak up and explore the ideas. They're like, well, what do you think you meant by this line? Or, Didn't the album cover mean that? And then after that, I interview a local artist, hip-hop artist. I do like maybe a 15, 20-minute interview with them, and then they get to do like one song, or we're going to have a beatboxer this month, and JR Beatbox. And then I close it out with my own acoustic performance of about 15, 20 minutes with two of the members of the week. It's, I've been told that this is what the culture means. This is, I've been having people ask me to make it into a podcast. I'm actually going to ask you about some, that's, some that's insights. That's exactly where my head went. Well, well, I mean, since I saw the sort of inception of it when you're, when you, you know, because all I've seen of it is what you put on your social media and stuff. But I was like, oh, my God, like, what is he doing? I mean, is he recording it? Like, is he doing right, film right, right. with it? Like, what What are you doing? But but it's just one of those things that's like in the moment you have to be there kind of yeah. thing for right. now. Right, right, right. Exactly. Because we're just trying to get it off the ground. This case, no one, it's not like this is a thing and I took over. They just came to me. It wasn't even supposed to be this. They were just trying to get me to perform for like an hour. Mm. But they wanted to get like just me and not the me. Like, they were like... Mm. You know, we understand you're your own thing, and so we want to, like, highlight you. So how can we create an event around you? That's how they came to me. Like, the guy that came in actually used to be the league's manager, his dude named Kip Kelly. And while he's no longer our manager, we still have a good relationship. And so he's always got his hands in a bunch of different, you know, events. And he's connected. And the writer's block, you know, they're like a pillar out here, you know, mom and pop sort of um, bookstore. And so they knew who I was. And they know who I am and what I'm afraid. And anyway, they just basically sat me down and we just brainstormed for a few weeks over the summer. And most of it was built in the course of about an hour. And I wanted to get away from one because I don't have that much new music. I feel kind of naked without the band. And I don't like, you know, it's just a whole, I don't have a bunch of my own beats and all this other stuff. And I don't know. It's just like, I wouldn't want to watch me perform. I would want to watch me perform an hour, but like, I'm not there right now. Like, I don't have like some crazy Lassar following. Like, there's no one like, there's not like a huge, like, there's, I'm known by a lot of people, but there's not like, I gotta go see him, you know? It's not that. So, and I know that, you know? So I'm like, why force this hour long performance? I don't want to do that. Um, so I was like, well, how do I get to do more things? And I just got really excited about the rest of it. So first album we did was Kendrick, Simple Butterfly. Arguably, in my opinion, it's definitely my favorite hip-hop album. I, I, I may like other albums at different times. I think 
in my opinion, it's the best hip hop album of all time. But that's for me. If other people feel otherwise, I'm not mad. But for me, it's the best hip hop album of all time. That's truly how I feel. Yeah, uh, incredible. But, you, can't, you can't yeah. deny that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think no one can argue with that. No one can be like, yeah, this shit's trash. Yeah, no one can say that. And it's a very, really, it's, it's a very, really, it's a classic. And it's a, you know, it's a very, really, it's a great album. But it's nothing less than that. Um, so then the next album I did was Most Death, Black on Both Sides. And that one was actually, we actually did a little bit better. We learned, learned a bunch of kinks, you know, ironed out a bunch of kinks in there and everything. And it was like, man, and especially because we started playing samples and people really loved that. The first time we just played parts of the record and the feedback I got was, I thought, the way I was getting it is, like, for instance, you and I are talking, most of the stuff is about talking. We played, like, maybe two or three songs. And that's about it. But it's we're talking about the art and music and culture. That's what we're here for. Well, that's what I thought about the event. But like, I know the bookstore guy was like, his name's Scott Seeley, and he was kind of like, you know, I'm into it, and I think other people are, but I feel like, you know, there's other people in here who've never heard this album, and so like, the more you're going on about like certain songs, like. I feel like, you know, if they don't know, it doesn't... And I'm thinking to myself, well, this isn't for them. This is for people who care about the music in the first place. It's free. You don't have to stay on forcing you. This is literally for people that already care about the music. I'm here to educate, but, you know, like, I'm not here to force hip-hop on anybody. I only want people that would want to nerd out with me. But that's ego speaking, even though everything I said is honest. Ego is like, if you don't give it, fuck you. That's, you know, that's ego. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, and, I don't, and I don't even completely discard that. I still kind of feel like that. But yeah, you kind of have to a little bit. You know, but also, we are doing this for other people, for the public. And while I, I don't want people in there that don't fucking hip hop. I don't want that. But I can, resp- I do, I have had a lot of fans over the years who, Hip-hop is not their thing, but I can be their gateway, or they like the way I say things. So I do understand that you have to make things for, you know, there's, some people are just novice, or they just have, there's something cool to do. I mean, there's literally people who just walk in, maybe they know the event was happening, and they don't know who I am. So I do understand you have to keep in mind, we're all at different levels, and you need to, you know, keep it flowing. So instead of just being super stubborn, I listened to them. I thought they were kind of overemphasizing the need for more music, but I was like, whatever, DJ's there. But then even my guys, Jeremy and Jason from the band who play with me, they were like, yeah, dude. And they know to Temple Butterfly. We're all huge Kendrick fans. And we all know to Temple Butterfly in the back of our hands. And so even they, I told them that note, and they, that was the only note they had. It was like, yeah, I mean, honestly, it would be kind of cool if you played more of the songs. Like, the more you talk about it, I wanted to hear the song. And I'm thinking, I don't think like that. Like, I'm talking, uh, the idea is you get super revved up and then you bump it all week or all year after we talk about it, you know? But apparently, they were like, yeah, dude, it'd be cool. And then, so then I sat down with DJ Mr. Rod and we got a little more involved. We decided to play, like, nine of the songs off of Black on Both Sides. And, you know, we played, and then we played the samples, too. And that was one of the feedback 
Sounds fucking awesome, man. Like I it excites me about it. And I'm not like the hugest hip hop head, man, but like, right, you know, right. fuck it. Like that that I love that idea of just like breaking shit down, analyzing that. I'm like that kind of guy who will watch an episode of Breaking Bad and then have to go watch the breakdown videos on YouTube just to get like different <laughs> perspectives and just try to break yeah. it down, understand it. What are the nuances that are going on here? And uh, I, I love the whole idea of that. Like that that's actually been one of my things I've been wanting to pursue is doing more breakdown type things. Um, so you want to do you you're you're thinking about turning it into a podcast or like a video? Oh, okay, here's the deal. I definitely well we do we are filming it. We just we don't have an editor, so we haven't like released we are releasing recaps. I'm not sure if you've seen that. So I have, like, cool, I have like, seen some of the recaps, okay. yeah. So the full thing is being recorded. We don't yet have like, you know, like anything in the interface or anything. Like there's no direct audio at this point, but we do have two cameras that are set up. I haven't even viewed the footage yet. So it definitely should come out. It's like, well, why don't you just put it out now? It's like, well, I don't know how to edit and no one else in the band is. And the other thing is, and it's like, well, you're just making excuses now. If you literally saw how much we were scrapping this together, you know, it was just like, it, it goes off great when it happens, but there's so many other things that it's like, oh yeah, like, the fact that we even had a camera was like, oh God, it's a good thing we remember that. Um, but there is talk, I've been leery of using the P word only because there's a standard, you know, and I watch a lot of podcasts and listen to them and I'm like, you know, I mean, I mean, we're doing one now, but I guess... I wanted, I wanted to like make sure I had the event down and more importantly, I'm like trying to get, it is a live event and the main purpose of it is to get people to the bookstore and to be involved with the community. So not the video would eschew that, but, uh, the main thing has been like, let's actually make sure I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> let's make sure all of our gear is actually there and let's, you know, actually promote it better. So I haven't graduated to that yet because it is such as a live event first. But the P word has been thrown at me many times and I think I should do that. Well, I, I like the idea of it. I love the whole idea of what you're doing. The only thing that I would see a problem that you would run into once you start, like if you were to do podcast or, or, or the P word. Hello? Hello, are you there? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, the only thing I would see running into that is that I used to do, um, I used to do like these, uh, like I did the golden age of hip hop. So like I was playing all these like, uh, like, uh, late nineties, uh, not, you know, uh, mid nineties to late nineties, early two thousands, just playing certain songs, you know, and, and I ended up getting flagged 
because uh, I just wanted to play like a, you know just a playlist of songs that I just released on my podcast. Well, it turns out that that uh, you know people artists don't like that, and they have mm-hmm. their companies going out and, and shutting down those things. So I got flagged, and so if I get yeah. flagged again, like they, uh, if I get flagged again, they they can deplatform me. So that would be the yeah. only thing I would see happening is is especially with like Kendrick doing anything Kendrick anything mainstream because. It was a fucking Kanye song. He shouldn't even bend yeah. in that fucking playlist. <laughs> it was Kanye's ass. And I just oh, had to throw man. him on there. Uh, and it was Kanye that got me flagged. So, uh, I mean, like, uh, you, that, that would be the only thing I would see as a problem. Getting the right, the getting the rights to the music. However that happens, I, I don't even know how that works. Because at, at one point with podcasts, it was so Wild West that you were able to just do whatever and put whatever yeah. out there and now that there's all these you know uh you know record companies want their money so they, they're hiring all these companies to send out the digitally find these um you know uh distributed songs inappropriately holy shit yeah i'm sorry i really have to pee so i'm like my brain is racing but yeah I, but i think it's an amazing idea and and uh i i think you should uh, I like the idea that you're just sort of trying to figure out what the show actually is. It sounds like you got a good idea, but you're still trying mm-hmm. to figure out where the where the kinks are to sort of thing. So maybe maybe get it down and then then figure it out. But I mean, like, goddamn, that sounds like a really awesome idea. I love I love that idea of just breaking down an album and and jumping into it. Um, I yeah. I mean, if you have ever have any questions on like the technical aspects, like you know how do yeah. you upload it or whatever it is you feel mm-hmm. free to ask me i mean i'll, I'll be more than oh, happy to man. help man at any, at any time. Thank, you. Um, thank you yeah i might i need to pick your brain sounds like we're sound, signing off here i was gonna say thank you for that input because and we did the most definitely it did get flagged but they let it go through anyway but mm. i did get the email that like it was flagged yes like but so they said it was removed but it wasn't yeah. I was like, well, I'm not going to worry about this. But <laughs> that, was a, <laughs> that was a little hint of what you're saying. And so you're totally, and even, even Rogan, I think, like, can't play Yeah, he can't, so like, he can't play shit either. And I mean, he's so massively popular that even if they get, like, a whiff of, you know, a song that's not, hasn't been cleared, you know, they, they get demonetized. Um, one of the things that I did recently, because I've been having trouble with putting other people's music behind stupid videos that I like to just put out, just if it's just a stupid video of just me being funny, or whatever I think is funny, uh, that's mm-hmm. subjective. Uh, but the uh, uh, I've, oh, been, I've been spo- I've been uh, I've been speeding up the or or, or transposing the song up like. Uh, like a half step. So like oh, this, I okay. just released something and this is an old trick they used to do to get by the YouTube watchdogs. I mean, this was years ago when I found out about this, but I just tried it and it worked. And this was the first time I tried it. So I just, I just raised the, uh, I just put it in the logic and put it up a half step. And it was uh, this <coughs> song called by Dr. Hook sharing the night together it was in the new breaking bad movie, El Camino. And I wanted to put it over. We just did a breakdown podcast of the movie. And so I, wanted to put that song over the back of it but i knew it would get flagged so i changed the actual i raised the you know thing the only problem with that is is that you're 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 um you, you know you're 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 taking the original music and you're sort of you know you're 
you're changing it. You're 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 right. fucking with it. You're fucking with history. So like that would right. I, I could see how that could be a problem for like the real hip hop heads who want to hear it the way it was intended. Uh, but right. that is just one idea, and then, and of course, that's a shady way of doing it. Now you're talking about you, you said something about standards, <laughs> so <laughs> that might be a little bit below those standards. But for me, who right. who I don't, most of my music, most of the music I use on the podcast is mostly shit that I just do myself. So I'm not worried about uh-huh. all that. But when I do, that's it's just what I do. So I don't usually use a lot of music that I don't that I didn't write. So it's just it's it's uncommon for me to have to worry about that too much but for someone who is basing a whole podcast upon a whole you know whole album you know is that might be something you want to just think about and look into before you know that's a good idea no no thanks i really appreciate that insight man that's anything i could do to improve i'm looking forward to it for sure, man. Well, Rasar, I I really do appreciate you taking the time out and and you know talking to me. It's been great catching up. Like I, I love talking to you. And 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 if you guys haven't heard the new single, keep you focused. That it just got dropped today, right? That was today. Oh no, yesterday, Friday. Correct. Yeah. So October twenty fifth is out. So by the time this comes out, it's a well established single and it's out there. Go listen yeah. to it. You heard it here first. Kind of, not yep, really. Spotify, <laughs> Apple Music, Bandcamp, all that good stuff. You get it. Go get it. Go listen. And of course, the vinyl yeah. say first Fridays, and uh, the leak. And that's the leak. That's L I Q U E, and that's dot com, right? It's just the leak dot com. Yeah, yeah, that's the website for sure. And and Rasar Amani, not Armani. Thank you so much, mm-hmm. my friend. You have a wonderful rest of your day out there in Las Vegas, and um, and we'll and and we'll chat again soon. All right, then. Thank you so much, Mike. Really so, appreciate you. And uh, like sharing words, your story and giving us an right, update too. on the band and all that good shit. Theleak.com. T H E L I Q U E. Go check them out. They're they're amazing. Like I, everything that they do is just so cool, and uh, you can just tell that that they really take care in, in, in what they put out and what they do. Uh, I, I just I always appreciate that out of artists. So go check out the league. You can also go check out rainamystique.com. R e i n a m y s t i q u e. Check out where me and my wife are playing under the Experience tab. Check out our latest album, 1018. Check out our sponsor, ModedStudios.com. They have all the hottest throwback and and new and funny embroidered patches and apparel. Uh, They got the Wu-Tang hats and, and they got Bart Simpson patches. They got the new Bernie for Presidents with uh bernie back on the t-shirt which is amazing uh they're always updating their website and they do custom work modedstudios.com m-o-d-e-d-s-t-u-d-i-o-s.com you can go and check out our instagram at we speak english good there you'll find all kinds of silly shit uh podcast content that you can only find on instagram and also we do we are starting our tutorial series where we are uh well where i am playing uh, since i'm a multi-instrumentalist i've been playing learning licks and then put uh, and then and then uh 
filming me doing the same lick on three different instruments. It's mostly two instruments. I, I go from guitar to piano, but I'll throw the bass in there once in a while. So go and follow us on Instagram if you want to see those uh, <laughs> tutorials. Uh, you can also leave a review on iTunes or wherever or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. Um, SoundCloud is a great place to leave reviews or comments. We'll read them on air. Uh, send an email at wespeakenglishgood at gmail.com. We'll read it on air if it's, if it's nice or constructive. Uh, I don't want no bullshit negativity, guys. Anyways, I think that'll do it for this week, guys. I really appreciate y'all hanging in there. And uh, I hope y'all have a wonderful rest of your week and a wonderful weekend. And be good to your fellow human beings and HJs for everybody. Bye.